You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into this Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy. I host this fine program, and today I've got Tom Peavy and Cam Berry with me here. A fun show planned for you today on a Wacky Wednesday. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we will have uh, Truth is Sometimes Stranger Than Fiction with Tom Peavy. He'll have us uh, some some fun stories to, uh, that might uh, creep us out a little bit or uh, be really cool. We shall see. So that will be our Wacky Wednesday today. At 4.40, we will have Joe Bartle, our friend from RotoWire. Uh, you, he, yes, it's not quite football season, but uh, he actually uh, does everything in the world of fantasy, football, basketball, and baseball. So we'll talk to him a little fantasy baseball and also get his thoughts on the NFL draft coming up tomorrow. We will have a good bit of NFL draft discussion on today's show and tomorrow's show as we get set for another edition of uh, something that people spend their whole lives working on with uh, with NFL draft stuff and update you on where kind of all the Auburn guys are slated to go throughout the NFL draft and that sort of thing, the latest news and headlines, some murmurings about the quarterbacks and all that good stuff that we always love around NFL draft time. Of course, we'll always take your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-341 locally or toll-free at one 9 tiger 9 Birthdays and sports nightly TV guide as always today on the show as well. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Cam Barry with you here this afternoon. I'll start with Cam today because, Cam, uh, you had a fun sports night last night. I'm happy for you for that, and I hope Thank you're doing you. well today, sir. I'm doing great today. Yeah, I uh, I had a great night last night. Was very unsure there, but uh, Trey Young decided to put the franchise in a backpack and um, carry the load for us and, and decided uh, to um, – just go crazy, honestly, and, and scored the last 14 points of the game, and including the game winner, and um, helped help the Hawks stay alive for one more game. So now we're going to game six in Atlanta, um, get DeJounte back after his one-game suspension, um, and uh, we'll just see how things go, and we might have the Celtics on their heels a little bit. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm great. I, I, I loved how everything transpired last night. Got a win in the garden, and, you know, <laughs> the fans are yelling, you know, F Trey Young, and, and, you know, that's your first mistake right there. Once you start with that and, um, and they start with that chant, well, then it's just going to turn them up even more, and that's exactly what he did. It was great, um, and, uh, yeah, just excited to see what happens on uh, Saturday. Yeah, I think great players uh, really get fueled by that sort of stuff on the road. Like, uh, there's not too many guys that are really good at their respective sport that hear the noise and then all of a sudden just like 
fall completely apart. Like, I don't know if fans need to reconsider that for professional athletes because I feel like what professional athletes love, they love the, the roar of their home crowd, and then they love to quiet the other team's crowd. Yeah. And so uh, he certainly did that to Boston last night, going back to Atlanta for game six on Thursday night. And uh, a Celtics team that's one of the favorites to win the title, but they not in as grave danger as the Milwaukee Bucks, at least, but they certainly uh, did not close out that series when they had opportunity to do so last night. Now they might be looking at a seven-game series, and, and you never know if it gets to game seven. Tom Peavy is also with us today. Yeah. Tom, I hope you're doing well, sir. I hope you enjoyed, although it was a rough uh, night at the ballpark. Yeah. I just hope you still had a good time overall, and uh, I'm glad you're here again today. Yeah, uh, yeah, I got a chance to hang out on the on the parking deck with our with our good friend, uh uh, Plainsman parking lot and, and the crew and yeah watch some Auburn baseball yeah and unfortunately uh, Auburn drops one eight to seven to Troy um, in a game that uh, started out it it felt like Auburn was going to probably put up twenty some odd runs they scored six in the first the first six batters reached uh, and it just seemed like it was going to be a, a a bloodbath of offense from Auburn and they get six runs on six hits in the first inning and then proceeded to get four more hits the rest of the way and uh just they couldn't get it done so uh but it was still fun uh not the outcome we all wanted but it was still a fun time up there and uh looking forward to the rest of the show and yes wacky wednesday um we will be doing uh yeah it's truth is stranger than fiction type stuff but uh we're gonna go into weird coincidences Okay, weird coincidence. So that's going to be like the uh, the theme of today. Then the the theme is going to be weird coincidences. There 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 have been many coincidences that happened that are very much too strange to be true, but these are actually true. Okay, so so, so that's that, what we're looking forward to in the uh, the last hour. That will be our five o'clock hour, at least most of our five o'clock hour. Then, yeah, let's start a little bit with Auburn baseball. Uh, I know that uh, there's, you know, we talk a lot about portal. To be honest with you, there's not a whole lot of portal updates today in basketball right. and football. Uh, there's still guys that are visiting and that sort of thing. Matthew Cleveland's yeah, kind of still on his visit. He's here. Uh, he with, got with here Auburn. last night. Yeah, uh, got here yesterday and still on his visit, but, you know, no updates for now on that. We'll still cover uh, the latest if anything breaks, certainly. But uh do want to say a few words about Auburn baseball. Last night was a interesting thing. You know, Kevin uh, Ives had previewed on Monday with us uh, the, even this midweek game that just took place and talked about how Troy, uh, depending on how things shook out, might be in in uh, the conversation to get in that large bid of the tournament. Actually, that that, sure. that was their twenty ninth win of the year yep. last night. Again, to show you how uh, even great teams, it does not matter midweek games. This is the sport of baseball. Number one LSU lost to Nichols State last night. Yeah. Okay, Nichols uh, uh, and and Texas A and M lost to Sam Houston State. Yep, and Arkansas lost number I think seven or four. Arkansas lost to Missouri State. Yeah, and so two top ten teams in the SEC, including number one LSU, lose to unranked teams, and then Texas A and M, like Auburn, loses to an in-state team. Yeah. Um, it doesn't excuse Auburn for losing to Troy, but what it does show you is that it's still far more about these SEC series for these teams. That's what's going to be the more important factors on the resume. But, I mean, Tom, with you being there uh, at the game, I, I guess what was the big factor there for why the bats kind of went quiet after that first inning? Uh, a lot of it had to do with with Troy's defense. Um, I mean, 
and, and then just some unfortunate things with Auburn. Uh, they, yeah, I mean, they struggled. They really started striking out quite a bit. Um, you know, Troy brought in a pitcher that really kind of got them in check after they just absolutely shelled the guy that started for them. Um, but Auburn had a lot of just really hard hit balls. There was one, and I don't remember who hit it, but uh, to second base, and I mean just an absolute blister shot towards second base, and the dude picked it off the ground. I don't even know. I mean, it was hit at him so hard. I don't know if he even saw the ball, but it, you know, or if it just, you know, hey, look what I found in my glove all of a sudden. I mean, it was that hard of a shot. And the dude just scooped it and made the easy throw. And it's like, well, daggum. You know, I mean, you can't hit one much harder than that. And they had some others that were just absolutely smoked to the outfield, but it was right at somebody. So that was the issue there. Um, there were quite, you know, the, the strikeouts were, were an issue. But, um, and, and, but the, so there was that. But then the, uh, the, the other factors that the pitching – was pretty good until you got into the sixth inning. Uh, you know, it, they, it it stayed what it was. I mean, it was a six to five game until the sixth inning. Uh, a, a game that started out just it seemed like it was going to be one of those high scoring affairs. Uh, so you know, Troy scores one in the first. Auburn scores six in the in the bottom of the first. But then Troy comes right back with two two run home runs in the second. And so you're thinking this is going to be one of those just. Uh, shootout type games and then it just bogged down into a pitcher's battle and then Troy's finally able to to break through with three in the sixth but um the the you know that was really the big takeaways is that the uh, the uh the bats just they went silent after that first inning and just could not muster enough uh finally you know squeaked a run across in the seventh inning um and threatened several times and they just could not get that clutch hit that they needed uh to to break through and uh and then with Auburn pitching held fast and did what they needed to do but then they finally just kind of ran out of gas there in the sixth inning and and troy was able to get to him so uh, it's one of those unfortunate things you you, auburn had their opportunities at the plate um especially uh in the late innings had several opportunities to to take the lead and i left the bases loaded uh on one occasion i believe in the eighth inning uh, they left the bases loaded so you know, you, you you move on. Uh, this one, it stings. And uh, Troy, though, Troy has a, a higher RPI than Auburn. I mean, that, that's how good Troy is. You mentioned their 29th win. I mean, they're 29 and 13. Uh, they have a, a better RPI. Um, they are in a much better position to reach a regional right now than, uh, than Auburn is. And so, yeah, it's a bad loss, but it was also a good team that they lost to. This is, Troy is not – just some scrub team out there. I mean, right. this is actually a really good baseball team that Auburn played. Yeah, and I think uh, maybe we were a little guilty of overlooking them even still, even despite uh, Kevin talking to us about their potential to, to be an at-large team uh, eventually. Do you have one kind of uh, breaking news around Auburn, uh, not involving one of the major sports, but still uh, worth noting, uh, as always, update you on news like this. Uh, Auburn equestrian coach Greg Williams is retiring. Oh, wow. Uh, he is going to serve as head coach emeritus, so he will still okay. kind of have a role kind of being a figurehead for the program. Uh, but a long and storied uh, career for Greg Williams as Auburn's head equestrian coach. Of course, uh, multiple championships with Auburn, yep. always been uh, in the running for a national title uh, and, and fell just short this year, finished second to, to SMU in the final meet there. Uh, but, yeah, Greg Williams is uh, retiring as Auburn equestrian coach, and he will serve 
as head coach emeritus. So that was some uh, breaking news via Brian Matthews and, and really all the beat guys taking hold uh, of this right now. We're going to go ahead and take our first time out of the show today. When we come back, much more of Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy with you here today. A lot of fun to look forward to on the show. Joe Bartle coming up at 440. Again, a wacky Wednesday in the 5 o'clock hour with strange coincidences from Mr. Tom Peavy. So excited about that. Before we go any further today, though, let's get to today's birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. Birthdays in Sports is presented by Max Credit Union with two convenient locations to serve you. One location on Gay Street in Auburn, the other on Frederick Road in Atalanka. The Max Credit Union help you with all of your banking needs. Amos Otis turned 76 today. Former MLB outfielder Otis was born in Mobile, Alabama. and was drafted out of high school by the Mets in 1966. Made his MLB debut a year later. Spent 17 years in the majors. Spent 13 of those in Kansas City. He was a five-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glover, and one-time AL Stolen Base Leader. At the time of retirement, Otis was the Royals' leader in hits, home runs, runs scored, stolen bases, and games played. Several of his records still stand, and he is a member of the Royals' Hall of Fame. Amos Otis turned 76 today. All rise. Aaron Judge turns 31 today. Outfielder for the New York Yankees. Judge was born in California. Where he was a star in baseball, football, and basketball in high school, earning scholarships to play tight end for several major, major schools. He decided to pursue baseball and played three seasons at Fresno State. Three seasons at Fresno State. Go Bulldogs. There you go. Uh, making the all-conference team all three seasons. In 2013, was taken 32nd uh, overall by the New York Yankees. Made his debut in uh, 2016. Since being called up, Judge has become one of the best power hitters in uh, history. He is four-time All-Star, three-time Silver Slugger Award winner, one-time MVP. In 2022, he broke the home run record in the American League, hitting 62 last season. Aaron Judge turns 31 today. Morgan Cox turns 37. Long snapper for the Tennessee Titans. Cox was born in Tennessee. Walked on as a long snapper to the Tennessee Volunteers. Go Vols. He started for three <laughs> years in Knoxville. Was signed by the Baltimore Ravens following his college career. Played 12 seasons in the league. 10 for the Ravens and 2 for the Titans. Five-time Pro Bowler. One-time All-Pro. One-time Super Bowl champion. Morgan Cox turns 37 today. And Mike Scott turns 68. Former MLB pitcher. Scott was born in California. Played college baseball at Pepperdine. 
Uh, go wave, wave, wave right? Uh, go Fa- wave. Following his college career, he was drafted in the second round by the Metropolitans in 1976, making his debut in 1979. In 1983, traded to the Astros, where he spent the remainder of his 12-year career. In 1986, Scott had his best season, leading the majors in ERA and strikeouts. He was both the Cy Young and MVP award winner that year. Three-time All-Star, his number 33, is retired by the Strohs. Mike Scott turned 68 today, and those are the birthdays in sports presented by Max Credit Union. And then he went on to run a paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Michael Scott. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't think Michael Scott was 68 yet, though. Uh, but those are the birthdays in sports presented by Max Credit Union. All right, so uh, we've had uh, a numerous discussion about uh, the latest on the portal. Uh, basketball and football-wise, yesterday we started to hear from Bruce Pearl, Hugh Freeze at the Ambush Tour, which kicked off in Atlanta yesterday. Some interesting quotes we kind of clarified before we went off air that Alan Flanagan could not. We kind of were waiting on this pro decision. Well, he could not go pro and come back. Uh, that's something that you can't do a third time. He had already put his name in the draft twice. So if he had gone pro, that would have been his final decision. He would have had to keep his name in the draft. That's why he did not ultimately opt to go pro of course can still end up transferring somewhere else and i think that uh they expect him to graduate first here in a few weeks and then make a decision and I, again i my theory is that it's going to depend on the recruitment of some of these wings that auburn is looking at football wise hugh freeze also was asked some questions and i think the thing that stood out is that hugh freeze even admitted yeah the, the transfer portal in football has been a little slower than uh, he had anticipated and maybe Auburn had anticipated. Again, I think that people kind of talked themselves into there would be a large wave of, of gettable guys that could really positively impact things, and that's just not really come to fruition. There are a few guys in there that were big-time recruits that still have a lot of potential early in their college career. There's certainly some guys at Auburn's – getting on visits or trying to recruit a little bit but everyone's wanted to know about that quarterback position and the guys that are out there are just not rocking the boat for too many people we talked a little bit about buckner from from notre dame yesterday that alabama and auburn might contact him might get involved a little bit but between him and what ben bryant uh, at cincinnati and nolan at, at oregon state you know, there's just, again, nothing that anyone is just kind of coalescing around and saying in terms of being just really excited or, or anything like that. I think they're guys that would be capable of competing for the job. But, again, a, a, a true starter still not out there in the portal. And I think Hugh Freeze was just, again, admitting the fact that, yeah, uh, things have not been as active as he anticipated. There have not been too many game changers in the portal in the spring. Right. Yeah. And that's that's kind of one of those things that you have to expect with the portal is that uh, sometimes it's going to be that way. And then sometimes you're going to have superstars that are jumping in there. But, uh, you know, it is it is what it is. You you have to uh, play the hand that's dealt and, and go along with it. I still think he's going to find somebody, uh, quarter, especially quarterback-wise, I'm still convinced he's going to try to find a quarterback somewhere in the portal, um, whether it be the kid from Cincinnati, uh whether it be somebody else that pops up, I don't know. Um, you know, we'll see. And then in other positions, I mean, goodness gracious, uh, everybody's leaving Colorado right now about as fast as they can get out of Boulder. Uh, so, not a good look for Dion. I understand there's 
you know, there's, you know, what, what do you call it? A, a cutting the fat or, or sure, trimming, trimming the fat, the fat. Yeah. trimming the fat, um, you know, there's other, man, other, if there's 50 guys that oh are fat gosh. on that team, though, well, yeah. You know, ruffling some. I'm trying to think of some of the other now. Ruffling some feathers to, you know, whatever you got to do. They are running people off from that program faster than than you yeah. could imagine. And not letting players have their film either. And not so letting players have that. film. I yeah, I mean, there's some stuff going on out there. But you know, with Deion Sanders, he's saying, you know, this is part of it. I, you know, I have to run off. So the whole team? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, it, 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 think about how bad Colorado has been. I mean, it, but still, you got to – I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't want to dog on Deion Sanders. I'm sure he's got his own plan or whatever. But there's a lot of dudes in Col- at leaving Colorado right now that are in the transfer portal. Uh, there's a lot of guys in other places that are in the transfer portal. So, I mean, there's guys out there for the picking. You just have to cautiously pick who you want, obviously, uh, in, in positions to need. But uh, it, yeah, I mean, it's been a weaker, it's been a weaker transfer portal. Uh, but it's you know, like I said, it's kind of it is what it is. You just have to kind of go with what you're dealt with there. As of three yeah. hours ago, Cam, fifty-one guys in the portal out of Colorado. So a little <sighs> bit on insane. that, a little bit on that, a little bit on you know Auburn having a little bit of a quieter spring on the portal than yeah, maybe first yeah. expected. Yeah, the the Dion thing, you know, obviously he said that he's going to have people going. You know, in and out seems like it's been more out than in. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I did tell you that he got the edge commit today. So he it was the number two edge. I think the guy was from Florida State. Uh, so that's, you know, a good pickup. So he's like kind of slowly build, building the roster, I think, how he wants it. But, yeah, it's just been a really slow spring overall. I think, I think it seems like a lot of the players that, you know, might have been uh, speculated to go into the portal – um have not uh they've stayed at their schools and maybe just decided they wanted to compete for the job or however that worked Uh, so uh it's interesting it's going to be interesting to watch and if you're auburn you know like tom said you just kind of have to go through it diligently and, and find a guy that you want um the quarterback situation obviously is something that is being constantly monitored uh in the portal you're not really sure who who you're going to be able to go um, who you're going to be able to go with, it, it just is what it is. And and like I said, back to Colorado, it's going to be interesting. I, I just don't know with with Dion just how – I mean, they just don't have a lot of players left at this point. So they have so many guys that have left. Um, and, I mean, it's like Dion's forcing them out. And there's no – there there are tons and tons of players in the portal, I, I'm sure still. But – when referring to Dion and the caliber of player that he's expecting or wanting, uh, they know, don't grow on trees. Yeah, they don't grow on trees. So you know, I don't. I'm not sure. I mean, even one of, even one of the Jackson State guys that he brought with him transferred. So it's interesting to see that even those guys don't even have a, I guess, quote unquote, guaranteed spot on the team. Um, or they're not expecting the playing time that they're expecting. So it's definitely uh, interesting and definitely will be something to watch because at this point, you know, I, I think the, the portal ends, it closes when on the 30th, right? Or oh, is that- yeah, I think you, I think for football, I have football and basketball dates. I think, yeah, the last day of April yeah. is when you got to so, get in by. So, Obviously, you don't have to make a decision, but you got to get in by. Right. Yeah. So. They, I guess they have the entire summer to figure things out and, and maybe get a roster together. 
but it, it's going to be kind of tough because you can't evaluate all these players. And yeah, I mean, he's got to fill a a lot of spots. So uh, it definitely will be something to watch for. Yeah, I mean, look, in, in a way, I will say this. Dion, in a way, let me give you like a not a hot take, but just like a, a lukewarm, just like a little something that's been sitting out a little while, but it, but was hot at one time. He's already kind of doing the job that Colorado wanted him to do because we're already we're talking about Colorado in Auburn, Alabama, and nationwide right. in yep. April. I mean, like in a, like when's the last time you gave, and, and maybe most of you still don't, but when's the last time you gave two cents about what was going on with the Colorado Buffaloes? It's no. been since the nineties, and so he's already kind of achieving a, a goal here in that. You know, if you if you're of the opinion all press is good press, well, he's getting some press right now. It's right. not necessarily all good when 51 guys are out of the program. That's that's about two thirds of, of the scholarships almost. It's it's about 60 percent of the guys that you can give a scholarship to are gone off last year's team. It's going to be one of the one of the most robust turnovers just by roster numbers we've maybe ever seen. And right now, I think they're like a minus 20 or so on actual players because I, I thought I saw before this wave the last couple of days, they'd had like 24 or 26 or something like that go out, 27 in the first cycle of the portal, but they had brought in the exact same number. But so in these last three days, when they bled another 20 to 25 players, they've only brought in a couple since then. So now they are 20 to 23 to 24 in the minus and it's like well if you don't get 20 players then just i mean just in number the numbers game you're gonna have some positions that you just don't have any depth at so i mean i look you might you might have increased the talent level a lot depending on all the guys that you get in there but you're only gonna have one of them everywhere because you don't have a lot of players it's it's really one of the more fascinating things i've seen from a roster building standpoint the portal kind of gives you the the ability to do that. And I look to be fair, this Colorado team, I, I incorrectly said yesterday they'd been to one bowl in the last 15 years. They've been to two because they went uh, to the, the COVID year, the shortened year. All right. And so they've been to two bowls in like last 15, 16 years. It's still terrible. It's right. absolutely terrible for a power five school. Even Vandy's been to more, I think. And so it, it, it is been awful there and in when it's been that bad you do have to change a lot so i'm not really being that aggressive on criticism because it's like clearly those guys there were not up to snuff to play pac-12 football sure and so on one hand it's like man that guy's just not giving any bs he's not even trying to develop those guys he's just gonna go get new guys in there yeah but the other standpoint is oh he's a brand new coach to the fbs and He's going to have, you know, respectable teams to play against. I know the Pac-12 is not as good as a couple of the other power conferences, but it ain't chopped liver. And so he's going to have to kind of learn, as you said, Cam, every, every everybody in the span of June, July, August. And I don't know. He's kind of setting himself up for, in year one, like – kind of getting a pass because he can easily say, well, we had all new, literally all new players. Right. You can't grade at me on year one. Or if they do make a bowl game and, and respectable, he's like, wow, I got 50-some players out of there 
look what I did in year one. Yeah. You know, that that, that is a, again, from a PR standpoint, he's already kind of doing his job and doing what Colorado wanted because we I, I've never spent this much time on talking anything Colorado yeah. football. But, but and that was the thing is that was going to happen wherever Deion Sanders went, and I think everybody understood that, and, and that's kind of one of the reasons that I was so uh, kind of wanted Auburn to to get Deion Sanders is because of just exactly what's happening there is because it's going to be it's going to be press it's going to be notoriety to, for your school on a national level when you know say say if he had come to Auburn and some radio show out in you know Glenwood Springs Colorado is all of a sudden talking about Auburn and these guys are sitting in Colorado going you know when was the last time we sat here in Glenwood Springs Colorado and talked about Auburn well that's that's what you're going to expect no matter where Deion Sanders goes because it is so, so high it is so high profile yeah it is so high profile that it this was going to happen everybody knew this was going to happen now what is happening out there I think was unexpected because I think most people figured that you would have more people flocking there than leaving there. But then there's also that aspect of, yeah, this has been a terrible program. So these guys are not to the level of what Deion Sanders wants. And so bye. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to have the guys to the level of what I expect. And if you're not to that level, then you're not going to play for me. And so on that hand, I, I, I get it. It looks bad. I mean, it looks really, really bad when you have that many players bailing out. And it looks bad when you have a, a tight end leaving, telling other coaches, like, hey, I can't get you my practice film because the coach of Colorado right now won't give it to me. That's a bad look. But I also understand it, you know, that you're trying to get, the, you're trying to get your guys in there. You're trying to get guys that are going to be playing at your level that you expect. And, and obviously these guys that have been recruited to Colorado and the guys that were currently at Colorado, there's a reason they've been so bad because these are not good football players and he doesn't want them around him. Yeah. It's, it's pretty staggering. And yeah, it's rough to it, say it, but that's, that's right. how it is. If you want to be successful, I, it's going to set up again, more eyeballs on Colorado football. Oh, absolutely. In quite some time. Well, I mean, ESPN had Colorado spring game on there. Yeah. And that never were, happened, and they were sold out. Sold out. Sold out. In, in the snow, I'm telling you, it was snowing. I it mean, was not, it, it was good. cold and snowy, and they were all packed in there for a spring game at the University of Colorado. Absolutely wild. We're going to take our next time out of the show when we come back. More sports call. You're listening to this Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger ninety five point May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. This is Andy Bertram, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
Welcome back to Sports Call here in Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Cam Barry with you here. If you ever miss part of the show, you can go back and check out the Sports Call podcast brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live, if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola. Taste the feeling. All right, let's talk some NFL draft now as we have the clock ticking down just over 24 hours until the NFL draft gets underway. And we will talk a little bit about this with Joe Bartle in hour number two when we have him on. Um, I've just been kind of floored by the narrative around C.J. Stroud here in recent days and how a lot of people – starting to transition uh, their draft boards into Will Levis being the second quarterback. Uh, The idea that Houston might not even take a quarterback at two. They might go something like Tyree Jackson out of Texas Tech, Uh, maybe Will Anderson or something. I I would – there's many layers to this. We talked a little bit about the cognition test, the cognitive test the other day. I just don't know – what to make of that sort of thing. Stroud was so successful in college. I understand that Ohio State quarterbacks have have not had good times of it in the pros. If anything, that would be more relative more relevant to me than than the the cognitive yeah, test, the honestly. Test. Um can you guys I mean it, I, I I struggle with this because I'm about to ask you guys, can you even make the case that Levis should go over Stroud? And yep. yet there's a lot of people out there that believe that's going to happen now. So, like, what what are what are we missing? Like, I, uh, well, and so here's the I, – I, and I think the people – the reason that is getting pushed is because of that cognitive test. I, I mean, and, I you know, I'm sitting here looking where, you know, C.J. Stroud says, quote, I'm not a test taker. You know, he's pushing back. On some of this, however, you may not be a test taker, but the cognitive type stuff is what a lot of these folks look at because if there's a reason they give these tests is because they do I relate. See if you're a smart football player, well, sure, they they relate to what you're going to have to do on the football field. And yes, you might not be a great test taker, but I mean, this kind of it gives these guys the that are scouts and and the coaches and the GMs and everything. It gives them kind of a something to look at. And if you can't pass a cognitive test like that, and it's probably something that most people could probably pass very easily or do very well on, but if you're not able to even do that, then how are you going to succeed on the football field? You may have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the cognitive abilities to do the things that you have to do, then there might be an issue here. Now, on the physical side of just football side of things, I, I don't see how you take a Levis over C.J. Stroud. I think no. I think just as a pure football player, C.J. Stroud is better than Will Levis. I agree. I am not sold on Will Levis as a big-time NFL quarterback. I'm just not at all sold. But, again, the cognitive test thing comes around, and it's like you might be the better football player, but, you know, can you actually get it done on the mental aspect of things? Because you have to do that aside from – you have to have the physical side, but you have to have the mental side as well. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, in all honesty, is more a, a smokescreen than anything in terms of just, you know, maybe somebody put out – and maybe his scores weren't that great. 
but maybe that was put out so that he would drop some to a particular team that might have put that out there so that he could, uh, you know, fall to them and they could draft him and use and have him as their franchise quarterback and no. however that wants to play out. Uh, but I, I mean, I don't, I don't really put too much stock into that if I'm being 100% honest because not everybody, and, and this is purely, not everybody's a great test taker. It just and and so with Street CJ Stroud's like with with what he's saying he's like I'm not a test taker I'm a football player I understand that sentiment because some people are natural naturally better test takers in terms of just being able to you know guess or however just different things like that and and deduction or, or how they base their decisions um because I mean that's how I was I I, I will say just in in terms of personally. Right. I was I was an okay student. I'll never say that I was the best student in the world or anything like that. But, you know, when it came to in high school, I would take, you know, the SATs and and things like that. I did pretty well on those tests because I'm a, a relatively decent test taker. And and so different things like that. Maybe he's fine. It, I mean, I bet he's fine in terms of quote unquote assignments when it comes to playing the game of football. He we see what he has talent wise. We see his decision making. We see all that different all of those things, and we we know that he is a extremely good football player. But maybe he's just sitting there taking the tests, and and he's you know however that goes, and he's just like ah, I don't know, just kind of you know makes the decision and and does that goes from there i I could kind of see where that kind of comes into play um so i'm not buying that will levis is better at all no um i think cj stroud is better um i i don't (laughs) i think if you take will levis that's a a mistake i don't think he's a, a franchise quarterback but um you know we'll see and and then you know teams still kind of sleep on on Hendon Hooker and guys like those as well where um you know Hooker I don't think he's as bad as a lot of people think and even the score it came out you know I think it said that he scored like an 18 that CJ Scott scored like uh, scored like an 18 on the cognitive test yeah it was, was it was low and I was seeing where a a a podcast uh, not a podcast but he was like a, a legitimate um source when it comes to NFL um uh, data and things like that and talking about this cognitive test and he was like it is it, it was not that low apparently he, he said it was not as low as that um i think that he said that was a little bit um exaggerated uh, but and and he said that cj stroud's camp camp would not release the scores because although it is not that low it's not as high as say will levis or bryce young or any of those other guys so it wouldn't necessarily even help his stock at that point either way so just leave it as is and and leave it to the decision making on the field i think that's that's how how well so my my thing is you know with that cognitive test it's part of basically a job interview And, and this is where i have the issue with some of what uh, what he said here, what Stroud said is, you know, so his quote, I'm not a test taker. I play football. At the end of the day, I don't have nothing to prove to nobody. I'm not going to sit here and explain how I process football. The people who are making the picks know what I can do, and that's all that matters to me. Okay, I agree. Cool. Well, no, that that's cool. However, that would be like going in. Th- those cognitive tests are, are like part of a job interview. You can't just go into a job interview and go, I, I don't interview very well for jobs, but I'm really good at this job. So you just need to trust me 
that you need to hire me for this job. I'm really good. I got a bunch of film. I got a bunch of film to prove right. that that I'm good. Sure, but don't I, but don't interview don't interview me. I, I don't do job interviews very well. So look, can we please not do a job interview? Just give me the job because I'm good. I'm really good at this job, but I don't want to interview for it. Just give me the job. I think I've interviewed plenty for it. I mean, my film is there. You know what I well, can sure. do on the field. Right. This this cognitive test yeah. is just one thing. Cool. Like some people just don't do written things well it right. just is well, what it is yeah. that's what i'm saying but i mean again uh, when it comes to like job interviews this is part of a job interview and i mean it's and that's something that you have to understand that whether you're good at it or not you definitely can't just blow it off and I'm, i can guarantee you these cognitive tests are not difficult they, they don't have these dudes doing like uh, algebra and, and these crazy arithmetic problems and philosophy problems and things like that. They're pro- they are very basic cognitive skills that you are expected to have as a normal human being to be able to work in a professional type job. And if you can't do that, then we're going to have questions about that. And if you, especially if you just sit there and blow it off and go, well, I don't take tests very well. It's like, well, no, this is part of the process. You've got to do this. You need to be able to do well on this because that's the real world. But ultimately, you would still take Stroud over Levis. But ultimately, I would still take Stroud over Will Levis. Right. Yeah. And so – Because ultimately, winning football games is the main thing. Right. And he's done that. And he's done that. The most important thing, you know, before you get into an attitude or a characteristic off the field or maybe in the film room or something, the most important thing is can you play football? Because if if you are a smart guy and and all that, but you overthrow the crap out of people and you have no accuracy or maybe you can only throw it 40 yards, then that that's a backup. You know, that's a scout team guy. All right, you can be cognitively great and practice and help people learn and get better. But if you don't have the football acumen, and I'm not saying Levis is some scrub, although I think it's very possible that he ends up being a complete bust. Right. You know, I think that Stroud's football acumen at Ohio State is clear. And, you know, if he one day ends up being good but not a great leader – or you know something something that is not just purely executing offense, then we can point back to this moment. But I don't think I don't think that is necessarily conducive to what he will be as a leader. And again, I think that on the football field, there is a better chance that C.J. Stroud is a good quarterback in the NFL. Then there is that Will Levis is a good quarterback in the NFL. And so for that reason, I'm not taking Will Levis above C.J. Stroud. The other thing is, and this is even more mortifying, so if you were just like moderately horrified or mortified at, at, at Levis going above Stroud, there was this thing yesterday, and I think it's just people trying to be dramatic and try and make some uncertainty in it, that there was – don't be shocked – that Levis could still end up number one. Yeah, I saw for, for instead of Bryce Young, Oof. and I just want those people to know. And look, if they end up being right, I apologize. But what you're saying is that the Carolina Panthers traded up to one to get a guy that no one else was going to pick one, and that they could have easily traded up to three or four to get. Right. 
And that though they decided to trade up to one to got the number three QB in the draft would make zero sense. Zero. And by the way, A, objectively, I don't care if Bryce Young is six foot, five eleven, six two, five six. I don't give a damn. I'm still best. picking Bryce Young yeah. above Will Levis. He is the best in this and, draft. And I think that if you want to make a parallel, the parallel I thought of, if you if you try and argue Levis over Bryce Young, then you are a Trubisky over Deshaun Watson guy. Yes. Same, oh, same conference, same deal. North Carolina was a decent team, bowl team, fine. Trubisky had these great measurables, big arm, okay. But Deshaun Watson was the guy leading his team in that very same conference to a national title. Made zero and, sense. And for Bryce Young at Alabama, I know that they did not win a title uh, these last two years. But Bryce Young has led his team to a far better place. And I know there gets into talent-wise and blah, blah. But Bryce Young played really good football in the very same conference and won a Heisman Trophy in the very same conference that Will Levis was a sputtering, barely bowl team guy. And I know that there's if you're somehow addicted to Will Levis, um, you, you, you're like, well, all the, all the talent was different and blah, blah, blah. And, like, that is true. That's obviously – it's obvious that Kentucky did not have the talent that Alabama did. But that was, again, you could have made that argument about North Carolina and Clemson seven or eight years ago. Look how that turned out. You know, I think that this is the same situation where you're addicted to this guy that has this massive arm and looks more like an NFL quarterback because of his size, but you're discounting that the other guy is actually better at doing what you need to have have done on a football field, you know, and that, that, that translates better. And so I can't believe I've had to spend some time on this, and I'm probably going to spend some time on this tomorrow, but there's no good argument for why Levis should be over Bryce Young. I don't even think there's a good argument for Stroud. There's certainly not a good argument for for Bryce Young to be taken after Will Levis. Absolutely Did I miss anything? You missed nothing, sir. You missed nothing. I mean, it's just... It's a a little asinine, for sure. I would have considered... I would have considered more likely that Levis fall to the fourth quarterback than move up to the second. Right. I would have been more intrigued by Anthony yeah. Richardson, the possibility that, to be fair, I wouldn't take either one Mm-mm. in the first half of the first round. I don't think those guys are true first-round first guys. Round guys. Yeah. I don't. But there's a lot of quarterbacks that need – or excuse me, a lot of teams that need a quarterback this year. It's also why I don't believe Houston's just going to be like, you know what, I want another year of neck boy. <laughs> Give me another year of Davis Mills because that's the most obviously tanking thing that they could do. I, d- I know they've got another well, pick in the first round. I think it's 12. Yeah, they do. But it's for, – for them, I mean, we already had that conversation that it would make 100% sense for them to just draft uh, Will Anderson at, at two and – and just wait until next year to get a quarterback because they're going to be bad this year either way. So, I mean, I guess I get wanting to have that quarterback already, but Caleb Williams is going to be really good. Drake May is going to be really good, and, and we know that. So why not just be bad next year, have that number one pick again probably, right? Number one, Gosh. number two probably. But that's a, it is, that is a tanking thing, though. It is a yeah. tanking thing, but – you, you got to start somewhere, and really, a quarterback is it, it, with Houston. Their roster is so bad. 
a quarterback is not going to make that much of a difference. I, I just don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. They're still going to finish with one, maybe two wins, and their defense is going to get beat up like they always do. Um, and, you know, getting D'Amico Ryans, that's definitely going to help. Not, I, I definitely think that's going to help. But you got to put da- talent on the roster. And they have some decent pieces on defense. So I think they should continue to build the defense and just draft Will So you, you, you do want an edge for them or, or something. Yeah. You do want a defensive guy. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it makes sense. Okay. I don't think a quarterback makes sense for them. I, I really think they should wait one more year and just go ahead and draft from the co- top QBs for next year. It just makes it just makes more sense, in my opinion. Okay. I'm going to contemplate this. We might come back with this in hour number two. We might not. Depends if we get someone on our Auburn Bank phone line. We are out of time for hour number one. And again, we'll have a lot more draft conversation at minimum tomorrow. Again, coming up at 440, Joe Bartle. He'll talk some draft with us. Also some MLB fantasy. And then Wacky Wednesday coming up in hour number three. Stay tuned. A lot more sports call to come here on this Wednesday edition of the program. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starts right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy with you here this afternoon. Coming up at 440, Joe Bartle of Roto-Wired. No, not fancy football season yet. Uh, we will talk a little fancy baseball with him. I hate that Brooks is not here. <laughs> One, I miss him. But two what I miss is he plays fancy baseball, so he would love to get a question or two in about his fancy team. His uh, first pick of the draft was Shohei Otani, by the way. I think that one's a, a pretty safe bet to be yeah, a good one. Yeah, it's pretty good, yeah. Um, so we'll talk fantasy baseball. We'll also talk some more NFL draft with him. We will continue this conversation here that we were just having on the other side of the break. Saw another NFL mock draft during the break on NFL.com. We'll have a second. CJ Stroud fourth. I just wouldn't do that if I were, also, if I were Houston. So Cam made a compelling argument, uh, both a little bit on air and off air, about Houston waiting another year. I'm a I'm risk adverse. I think C.J. Stroud will be a good NFL quarterback. I've always nothing. These people and their tests have not changed my mind. I think this is a two 
solid starter in the league draft right? with a Levis as a bust and Richardson as a potential home run or strikeout. Right. Like he's going to either end up being top seven or eight quarterback in the league. Oh, my gosh. Someone – should have should have made this this pick <laughs> right, right. or yeah remember you know he's the starting quarterback of the Birmingham Stallions in in, in four years you know I, like I don't know <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah it's gonna go it's gonna swing one violent way or another with Richardson but I still think that Bryce Young's gonna be a good NFL quarterback and I think C.J. Stroud at bare minimum is a starting NFL quarterback for a few years so if I'm Houston spending a lot of time on the Texans here but. I, okay, the one thing you don't do is the mock where you go Will Levis. That's asinine. Yep. If you're going to do that, if you're going to do that, A, congrats on being bad for four more years. Yes. B, um, trade down with Ursay. Please. Like, you know, and yeah. because I'm sure he'd prefer Stroud to Levis. Trade trade down to yeah, three to it. four to five yeah. and get grab another pick. pick for next year, yeah. You know, so I like, I don't know. Don't take Levis too, please. Um, the the thing about next year's draft is I think everyone likes I think everyone likes Kayla Williams more than than Young and uh, Stroud, yeah. And I I think that Drake may people like definitely more than Stroud, maybe as much as Bryce Young, potentially more depending on who you talk to. And so everyone is really excited about the two top QBs for next year, right? Which is where. Your argument comes into if you're the Texans and you've already got a bottom, maybe the worst, certainly one of the two or three worst rosters in the league. Do you just kind of go ahead and say we're we're bad in some form or fashion next year? Let's take the best player available, which in that case is probably Will Anderson, and wait till next year to take a QB. Now, if you're a fan of the team. You kind of hate it because that's another year that you just know there's nothing to look forward to on offense. Like it's just like absolute nothingness Damian again. Pierce, Damian I'm Pierce, watching Damian Pierce, Damian Pierce. Yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> and John Mechie. Yeah, Mechie yeah. is hopefully alive. Yeah, and and he uh, said he's good to go. You know, you, you have Case Keenum and/or Neck Boy throwing to him, and you Case get, Keenum's a good bridge quarterback. I'll live with Case Keenum. Yeah, I mean, he's oh, on the I'll roster now. I live with now. Case Keenum. Yeah. That's that's well. Minnesota would certainly live with Case Keenum. Um, New Orleans, not as much. But I I, I think that I just I I have trouble doing this two years in a row. Like their whole purpose of being bad this year was to get a quarterback, and then they they messed up and they lost the last game, and we had this big discussion on how. How bad that was, and I was like, "Well, it's a two QB draft, so I'm fine." But apparently, everyone else wasn't fine, and so now they don't want them. To, to take Stroud. They want Levis or, or Anderson. And so I don't know. I I am uh I'm addled clearly Be- by it. Right. Just don't take Le- I I'm good at, just don't take Levis. Just, <laughs> just don't, don't do take Levis. That's fair. Just don't do it. Because my thing again is with the Texans. Bottom I think I think worst roster in the league. Definitely bottom two, bottom two, bottom three. Do they even have a decent offensive line? Is their offensive line good enough to protect the quarterback that you're supposedly going to be drafting, right? It, it, that's something to think about because they could easily take say they could go Will they could go Will Anderson at, at 2. 
if they keep their 12 pick, they could probably get one of the two offensive tackles, you know, one of the one of the two, uh, Paris Johnson Jr. or the guy from uh, Northwestern that's supposedly uh, really good. I think it's like Skaronski or something yeah. like that. Yes. Um, those two guys are apparently really, really good. So, you know, I, I mean, just wait. Just I, I think patience is a virtue, and I think if you get the quarterback that you, you know, if you go after this quarterback in this draft that he might just end up getting beat up and you know obviously the experience will help but maybe put a few more pieces around him they probably will have some money soon i don't know i don't know what their cap space is like but i'm sure yeah. they'll have some money soon so you'll be able to maybe grab a couple guys in free agency say hey we've got this young new quarterback coming in i.e you know caleb williams i would assume that they would end up getting the one pick right that's not obviously automatic but i would say they probably end up going to get the one pick next year um so you've got your number one pick and you're going to get a few pieces around him all right cool we might have a little something going then you get maybe six seven wins and go up from there D'Amico Ryans can build a defense. We know that. Um, and and you want him to build it with Will Anderson. Right. That's fair. Right. And and you go from there and and you have somebody who's a real wrecking ball on that D-line and, and a, a real cornerstone piece. And then you have Derek Stingley on the outside uh, at your corner spot that you could also build out of with your secondary. And you just kind of, you, you know, you go from there. And I, th- I think that's the most plausible move. Let's take the Auburn slant now in some NFL drafts. Let's look at the Auburn guys that are going to have their name called or could have their name called at some point during the course of the NFL draft because we've, we've yet to talk about – we've talked a little Derek Hall, but let's, let's get into the weeds a little bit of these Auburn guys. So Derek Hall, pre-combine-ish, was getting a few mocks, like pick 29, pick 30. Yeah, late first. First round. I've not seen that in a while. I think he's in the solidly in the second yeah, round now. In second yeah. round. Like 40 to 50 range, 45 to 55 range, somewhere there. Give him to me, uh, pick 44. <laughs> Atlanta wants him. Uh, Cam wants him for Atlanta at 44. Um, so Hall's clearly the first off the board. Who would be next for you guys from Auburn? I think there's probably two ways you could go. Yeah, I – I don't know if I see Tank as a second-round guy. Um, I think he'll probably be like a third or fourth-round guy. Um, I, I like I like Owen Papo. Owen Papo. That's not who I was thinking of. Owen yeah. Papo. I think he you could like definitely Colby go. Wooden? Yeah, I, I was thinking of Colby Wood. I, I could see, so I guess I there's three see, options here. I could see it either being Colby or, um, or Owen going. I, I think it could be Colby or Owen for sure. So, you know, Colby was a guy that, that tested well. Um, f- you know, four-year guy. Right. Just gradually got better. Mm-hmm. I don't think ever just, like, wild people, but just gradually. He got to the quarterback. He did his job, you I, know, I could well. be off base here. It feels like with Colby, he would be, like, on a 3-4, he'd be, like, that edge lineman. Yeah. Um, not not like standing up outside linebacker blitzing, no, but like the yeah, other yeah. lineman down, right. just not nose tackle. Feels like that on, kind of scheme. On either end, yeah. Right. Uh, those type of guys usually statistically are not robust. Like if you're looking at NFL defenses that run 3-4 and 
you know, those are kind of the space eaters, you know, they just try and take up some blocks. They don't have big sack totals in general. You know, four three ends are different. Four three ends rush a lot and that's your JJ Watts and stuff, and that's when you want those guys to to um to have big numbers. But three fours you have outside linebackers like Von Miller, Shaq Barrett, Blitz, etc. Um so I think with Wooden he's that type of guy where you know, he's probably not going to be a st- statistical stalwart. Easy for me to say. Yeah. Uh, but third round, I don't. I can't see him being in second if Hall goes late in the second. Like right. to me, Hall's still a, a, a level above him. So if Hall doesn't go till fifty or fifty-five or something like that, I can't see Wooden going five picks later. Right. Uh, but I think he goes fifteen to twenty to twenty-five picks after. Oh. After Hall, so that could be late second, but it probably is third. On, on this ranking, they have uh, you know ranking the Auburn uh, potential draft uh, guys. Colby is fourth on the list. Yeah, where's, Bra- where's Brandon Council? Uh, Council is not even on this list that I'm looking at. I saw what, what, what are you using? Right, uh, this is. NFLDraftBuzz.com, Auburn Tigers 2023 NFL Draft Player Rankings. Okay. Derek Hall is ranked as the number 56 overall prospect. Prospect. Which has us, you know, 45 55 range. Right. Tank, right. Tank Bigsby is second at 103. Owen Papo is third at 109. Colby Wooden is fourth at 111. And they're then, all kind of bunched there, though. Right. Yeah. But, then, but then there's a huge drop off uh, to Eugene Asante at 313, Echo Leota at 410, and Alec Jackson at 485. Uh, okay. Then we go. I mean, really, you don't oh, have that's to 20, go. Uh, that's 22. Yeah, you really don't uh, have to go below that. There's only yeah. 200. I say only. There's only 200 something picks in the draft. Right. So if you're at 485, yeah, that's clearly yeah. undrafted. Right. Undrafted free agent. That, you know, and below that might not even become an undrafted free agent at that point. They're just. Straight to yeah. another CFL or something like CFL. that. Um, I, 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 for reference, I was using uh, on three and their kind of rankings, and they've got they've got Wooden graded as the second best guy. But okay. if they're all one hundred three to one eleven, you know that beauty yeah. behind the beholder one, there. Yeah, one hundred three, one hundred nine, uh, and one eleven between Tank right. Owen and Colby. Right with with Tank, he's going to be a good NFL player. You know, I, I still think with Tank, and we had this conversation with the caller. I forget who. Um, end of last year, something like that, yeah. and, and differences between him and Jarquez, and why Tank maybe didn't have as as explosive as a year this year. Something that's going to be really the telltale if he ends up being good with a running back because I I feel like he has all the the, the tools there. Yeah, definitely, I think he can change direction quickly. I think he's got explosion. I do think he's got some power. He can he can kind of balance and stay on his feet pretty well. Yeah, hopefully he can catch I, the ball. I think the problem is is that Tank a lot of times would maybe not hit a unideal situation hard. And what I mean by that is when there's no obvious hole there. Oh, yeah. He just kind of you know, stands He there. just kind of is just chilling, trying yeah, to yeah. – And to Hoping some degree, patience is like a good thing. He hopes something right? opens up. Right. He doesn't but, try to make something. Right. right. Rather yeah. than putting putting his full force in there and trying to lean in and fall forward to three to five yards, it, it those three-yard three gritty runs turn into no gains with him a right. lot. And I think that could be the issue in the NFL where they're going to want him to – to just kind of commit quicker 
to sure. holes, even if they're not there, and make sure with a, a body that is powerful Just to be pushing. able to fall forward and yeah. push. Yeah. And so that's probably, if I was looking at detailed why he – did not maybe have the season he wanted to have last year. Obviously, the line was not was, very good. Say, but, that, that offensive but, line had something to do. But with also, it. why he has taken a couple rounds of hit in his grade. I think that's the thing that he would need to work on is hitting the hole with more authority, even when. Well, look, it sounds counterintuitive because sometimes we li- love the patience of some guys, like Le- how Le'Veon Bell used to do it, how Carrion did it at Auburn, and how patient and, and able they were to, to be cut back running backs. But also sometimes with bad line play and bad bad, bad uh, typical plays, you know, can you make zero yards in the three? Can can you turn a loss into a no gain? Because those count too, right. and those are the ones that I don't think that Tank is adept at doing. I think he can. I think he can trail off for big runs. I think that he can. When there's a hole there, he can make the most of it. But can he get the in between yards that lets him be? the type of back that you can give it to a lot and know you're going to get something going forward. Right, right. Um, so he's probably middle of the draft, like yeah. uh, third, fourth. fourth. Yeah. Um, I, again, but he'll be a good I, – I think he's going to be a good NFL running back, personally. I, I, think he, I think the potential's there. Again, I think, again, he's got to work on that particular part of the game. He's got the physicality, though. He's got the the physicals I would want to see in a running back, and right. I've certainly seen enough explosion out of him. The, my my only my only question I would have about Tank right now at running back is kind of what we have been seeing um, dating back to Gus Malzahn years, and that's the offensive players' success in the NFL. And there's not been a lot of that. You've had some guys that have played a little bit. Carry On's played. You know, you've had some guys here and there, but none of them have been really uber successful and i you know i always wonder and go back to wondering about how much of that system that auburn had been running affected the offensive guys now yeah they're a little bit of a different system under brian harson yeah, and it was two of his three years at auburn sure too. it's more um, than gus right um and, and so but that, but again and now I, that's why i'm going to be curious to see how that change in system to harson will help offensive players maybe succeed a little bit more in the NFL than than they had under Gus Malzahn. The the problem with Malzahn getting guys and and, and of course there's not a lot to look for with uh you know Harson just because that so that's why I keep going back to Malzahn. But you know def- getting defensive players into the league and being successful was never a problem. I mean they, they, you go you can look at the rosters right now and I mean they're loaded with defensive players. Offensive players of late from Auburn have not really had a whole lot of success. There's a there's just been a couple, uh, and, and you know, does Tank fall into that, or does Tank break that trend and actually become a successful offensive player uh, at that next level? We'll, we'll see. I will say this: um, since I saw his development at Auburn, or maybe even lack thereof, because he feel like he kind of peaked the first half of his Auburn career, not this year. And again, offense lines a part of that. I'll tell you this right now. I'm not going to give Brian Harson credit for it. Yeah. I won't. I won't be doing that. Um, well, whether or not you know, you, I don't know who you credit, but um, I, I don't think that he got better last year. Certainly, no. now his sophomore year was good, but um, he had already done some pretty special things his freshman year too. Right. Um, other guys you mentioned, Eku Leota uh, could be. 
He's down at 410 uh, on NFL draft. So buzz. 410 on there, but I was looking on here. They think he could be a sixth or seventh round guy. You you start to you start to get to a point where in the sixth and seventh rounds, people just start to throw some darts at the wall. They'll find like one thing that they like about a guy. Yeah. And that's why they draft him. Because look, sixth and seventh round. That's that's now we're now past the point of fireable offenses, right? You mess up first and second round picks, then you're not doing a good job drafting. Right. Third and fourth, fifth is kind of like the range where you kind of flex your muscles. It's like, hey, look at this third round running back that's going to start for five years. Then, then we're not going to give him a sec contract because he's running back. But this five years are fun, (laughs) you know. Or enjoyed you while we had you, right? (laughs) Or I got this fourth round safety. He's going to start in league ten years. It's great. The sixth and seventh round is just like this guy benched a lot. Might <laughs> he's in? This guy runs a four four. He can't catch, but he's in. We're drafting him. This guy threw an eighty yard pass. He's in. And his name is Will Levis. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, he can't do anything else. Right. But damn, he can right. throw the football. <laughs> he's got a powerful arm. So yeah. sixth to seventh round guys are just, do you have a trait that someone really likes? And, and also it cannot be on the field. It can be off the field. Like, are you just like one of the smartest guys we've ever talked to about playing defense or playing this, right. this technique? You know, that you, everyone, I'm sure if you were to interview a GM or scouting departments, I'm sure they take as much pride, if not more pride, in the late rounds because that's where they start to go into – well, this is how we found this guy because right. we're really smart and we determined this is the best quality sure. to have in this type of player. Our, our analytics department yeah, um, so saw something in Echo Leota and all of a sudden he's an all-pro. So, in other <laughs> words, we are confident that at least four guys will get, get drafted. Derek Hall, Colby Wooden, Owen Papo, Tank Bixby. Yes. Okay, and then beyond that uh, might be a chance for Echo Leota. Eugene Asante, may I, I don't even I, remember I, him. I, I, I don't. I, I don't know. And that's probably it. I know that uh, again. On three, gave a undrafted free agent projection for Shed Jackson. Again, I would not think he get drafted. And then um, same thing for Honors Carlson might get the kick in a camp, but won't be drafted. So I think you're looking at four to five Auburn guys drafted throughout the. The three or so round, or the seven, three days yeah. throughout the three days, and, and I'll say this for Anders, um, I, 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 I firmly believe that Anders would have been a draftable guy, especially considering how well he did here, but also how good his brother is doing. And I mean, that's something they do look at, you know, when it comes to kicking family like that, because there have been histories there. But I'm wondering how much of his injuries have really kind of made people take a step back, because I mean, they are injuries to his leg. Yeah, and well, it's like mm, I this, this is a, this kid is a damn good kicker, but he's also hurting his leg so much that I mean, are you take really want to take a risk on a kicker that's got a bum leg? Oh, well, that's why you just sign him as an undrafted free agent, yeah. right? And give him a tryout. I, I think tryout. though, with Carlson, the thing that helps him and also hurts him is that he clearly had a big leg because they tried a lot of fifty-plus yard field goals right. with him, even when he started here. But yeah. the pr- the the bad thing is he didn't really make it. Yeah, he didn't. Right. You know, like make he a lot of them. He was pretty reliable inside of forty five, forty six. But um, once you get outside you know, of that, he, it's kind of iffy. Yeah, he he probably tried five, six, seven a year from fifty plus and only hit one or two of them. So yeah. it, it demonstrated that 
he had the, the leg, leg to kick a 54, 55 yard field goal. But at right. some point, you got to. Even in the NFL, it's just crazy how some how good some of these guys are. Well, it's crazy in the NFL. Fifty is almost automatic. Yeah, almost. I mean, that, that's really weird to say because I mean, in the past, oh, just like yeah. a, a fifty-yard field goal is like holy crap. That, that's impressive. Now, dude, these guys are kicking sixty-yard field goals. I mean, sixty has become the new fifty. Yeah. So, fifty is like okay, a fifty-yard field goal. I'll do that in my sleep. Yeah. So if you're not hitting those regularly in college, then yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna have questions. But I like I said, I'm wondering about the injuries too. I mean, I, that is a, a big deal when you've got a kicker that has has a hurt leg. Uh, I mean, that's that's rough. But I could see somebody, you know, I, not drafting him, but definitely I I could see somebody picking him up. Right, give him a. Or he may have to try out. He may have to buy his time in the XFL slash USFL yeah. or. Something and then get a roster spot, but and then you mentioned um, again for another undrafted free agent guy, Brandon Council. Yeah, again, not even here on the list. Okay, Alec Jackson is listed at four eighty five. Gotcha. He's the only yeah, offensive ranking five hundred players or yeah. more. Sheesh. Yeah, it's a lot of guys to, to go through. Again, there's only two hundred and some picks. I mean, it's not a lot of those guys will not get picked. But again, you you get down there and. Certain guys have something that GMs just really like, and you can. Some teams like have four or five seventh round picks just because they've done little trades over right. time, and they'll they'll trade back into the the draft for whatever reason. Again, just you only have to like one or two things about guys down there to to justify taking them because the pressure's not on. But we won't be having any sort of like full-on mock draft on the show tomorrow. We will be going through kind of relevant mock drafts and, and grading if, if that were the pick, uh, what we think uh, the grade we'd give it and some projections on guys' NFL futures. But we won't – this will only be a two-person show. We won't go the full uh, roundtable uh, draft discussion. But, Cam, I will, before we take this last break, ask you – just one last time, like what? What uh, if you were a Falcons GM and you were picking for the Falcons tomorrow? Gosh. What would you do? Oh man! Well, I guess it depends on who's there, right? Because this is, and, and a lot of the, a lot of GMs have said this, including the Falcons GM Terry Fontenot, is that you don't know how this first round is going to go. It's so uncertain. You know, usually the first, you know, five six picks are really about locks. And so then you can really distinguish, okay, who's going to be available after that, and that's where I'm really going to be focusing towards. But, you know, this is one of those years where it's pretty uncertain where that how that top ten is going to shake out, including how the Falcons are going to go. They could – I've seen where they want to go offensive line. I've seen where they want to go D-line, but it depends on who's there on the D-line. Like Jalen Carter, I've seen where they would pass on him, and I think Falcons fans would riot if he was not picked. I think we should go Jalen Carter – um if he's if he's there because he could go to seattle at five right so there's no telling where where he ends up you know okay cool if if uh if jalen carter's not there then i think that they should pivot towards uh christian gonzalez if he's there that's cbs yeah christian gonzalez if he's there at eight um and then maybe look to another corner maybe witherspoon um somewhere around there because they're pretty much one and two is gonzalez and witherspoon um, in, in the corner, uh, somebody to pair with, with on the outside edge, but then they traded for Jeff Okuda, so you don't know. They're, they're, that might yeah. be backed off a little bit. Okay. 
So then there's the Bijan conversation, and Brant and I had this conversation on Friday as well, talking about Bijan and and I mean he he's a real talent. At, I don't know if I like it at eight, you know, maybe trade back into the teens, into the early teens, and maybe get him there because the the positional value on a rookie contract is different. Uh, maybe draft Bijan. Pair him up with Tyler Algier, make Tyler Algier the short yardage guy because he's a bowling ball. I could totally work with that. Um, and you got another thousand yard. Ru- I mean, he, he is a thousand yard rusher right there with you. So, um, and then Bijan, he can line up on the on the at the receiver position. He can run, you know, in the slot. He can he can be your toting running back and three down back, and he he can do it all. He's a generational talent. You know, they put him up there with the with the likes of Christian McCaffrey, um, in in comparison and and um, Alvin Kamara and guys like that that can really catch the ball and also run the ball really well. Uh, can really see gaps. Has amazing balance. Uh, he he's a real talented running back. So I think in, I think I would go probably. Jalen Carter, if he's there, as my first first option. A corner, if he's if if uh, you know if if the corner that you like is there, if you're if you're the Falcons, if the corner that you like is there, because I've seen where Christian Gonzalez might go a little earlier to Detroit, maybe somewhere around there. Um, and then third, I would go Bijan, probably trade back and get Bijan. Um, because he is a generational running back in terms of talent. So I, I would not be upset with any pick um, with any of those three, depending obviously the running back, like I said, trade back. Um, but yeah, that that's if I'm if I'm the Falcons GM, those are really the three that I'm looking at and focusing on. We will look forward to it. I, I, I'm curious to see if Jalen Carter does slip that far. I mean, I, I keep seeing him. He's not getting past nine. He's not getting past Chicago. That's right. a fact. Yeah. I, I, you know, I keep seeing him, but the mocks all have him, you know, uh, like right here. I'm looking at him at pick five to the Seahawks. However, I uh, say there's chatter that Seattle might be interested in moving down to take a cornerback. So then that could take Gonzalez off the board or uh, Devin Witherspoon from uh, Illinois. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, because they've got him mocked to Detroit at pick six. So, six. so if yeah, Seattle, yeah. if Seattle takes a cornerback, and Detroit takes a cornerback, you've got to imagine then that's going to be Witherspoon and Gonzalez off the board. Right. That's probably going to keep bumping Carter on down a little bit towards the Raiders. Are they going to take him? Raiders could. They're, you yeah. know, Raiders are in a weird situation, so they could go – they could go right. quarterback. They could go, you but, know, defense. But, right. but they, then, they can go anywhere, and they yeah. they need they need kind of right. starters. Almost but then, but then that but then that would put Bijan right there with Atlanta. Then. Yeah, and, so and then it's you know something to talk about as well that Philadelphia might take him at ten, and so if you're the Falcons, you know if you trade back and go and because you want Bijan, and then he ends up going to Philadelphia, then that plan that you're kind of building is messed up now because he's gone at 10 so it's a lot to consider and then i I don't know but i'm excited i can't wait for the draft i'm honestly ready for it to be over with so the falcons (laughs) just so i can know who we're going with i know we're not going quarterback so unless it's cj stroud then there's that if cj stroud falls to eight i've seen where the falcons really like cj stroud so i don't know know. (laughs) we'll find out it'll be very entertaining tomorrow we need to take our next time out of the show when we come back, Joe Bartle will join us. He'll talk some fancy baseball first month of the season, kind of in the books, and then also he'll talk a little bit NFL draft with us too. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
Do you want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at SportsCallAuburn.com. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan Lavoy, Tom Peavy, and Cam Berry with you here this afternoon. We're now pleased to go to our Auburn Bank phone line. And even though it is not football season, we still have a lot to talk about with Mr. Joe Bartle of Roto-Wire. Help Roto-Wire with all of your fantasy needs, including some fantasy baseball, which we'll get to in just a second. But, Joe, the time is greatly appreciated. Uh, appreciate you being on. And, and still, even though we're not in the midst of the fantasy season or the football season, this is still busy time of the year with all that you do at Roto-Wire and with the NFL draft coming up. Yeah, I mean, this is essentially um, the start of fantasy football season for us, at least in the industry. You have uh, places like Underdog doing uh, their $5 million or $3 million best ball tournaments and a lot of other platforms like that. You know, Worldwide does a lot of gambling stuff, too, so NFL Draft actually is fantastic from the prop bet perspective. It, it really is go time, especially by the end of Saturday when all the draft picks are done and you have the undrafted free agent signing with teams. Really, from that point forward, um, it is football season for us. Obviously, you got basketball uh, still to play off some baseball, certainly too. So plenty of things um, from a roadwire perspective that we're covering. But yeah, for me, it's 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 go time starting tomorrow. So like, I guess I was going to start baseball, but I'll lead into this this fantasy NFL conversation. Like, are there any guys that like? I don't know how I should frame this, but any guys, position guys that that go in the draft that like you're going to really change the value of them. And, and maybe this is just more of a quarterback question, but you're going to change the value of them for the fantasy season based off which organization they end up in. I, I take it it has a, a decent amount to do with their value when it comes to how they're going to be ranked come the fall. No, 100%. And I would say that's the case every single year, but um, I don't I don't know if unprecedented is the right word. I just want to make sure that when using that, it applies. But this feels like one of the most tumultuous pre-NFL draft periods that we've had in regards to having no idea really what picks are going to happen. I mean, it seemed like Bryce Young was a stone-cold lock, lock to be number one overall, and then he had Will Levis yesterday kind of rise up the ranks. And I think it still is Bryce Young at number one, but even when you're debating that position, it's, it is kind of incredible to say, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with a lot of these rookies. And Really, from a fantasy perspective, we're talking either dynasty leagues or only drafting these rookies or redraft formats where you're incorporating them to all the other rankings and quarterback positions and yada, yada, yada uh, throughout the season. And, and that one, the second one, there's still time to kind of work it up and, and figure out what the projections look like and what's overall strategy that you'd be using, especially in the best ball formats, like I mentioned, for underdog or just season-long leagues like we'll be talking about when we get close to August. Um, but I, I think there really is uh, a dramatic change depending on which teams are drafting which players and what's the outlook. And I think for a lot of people, B. John Robinson is going to be the top one, either in dynasty formats where he could go number one overall among rookies, certainly in a non-superflex league, or even in redraft where I've been saying since December of last year that I think B. John Robinson, if it goes to the right team, is going to be a first-round pick in redraft leagues. His landing spot, which definitely seems tumultuous at this point, is going to be one of the most talked about come tomorrow. Uh, and I do believe he will be a first-round pick, along with Jameer Gibbs, who I, I think could also make a case to be a very early selection, even in a redraft format. So there's a lot of things that are, are changing, and certainly with the different de- destinations for the running backs and quarterbacks, I agree with you. Um, it'll, be, it'll be fun to watch tomorrow. 
And uh, we were actually just talking a little bit about Bijan before uh, we had you on. But we will get to more football here in just a moment. Do want to hit you with a couple baseball fantasy questions. Uh, uh, our, our resident fantasy baseball player is unfortunately – well, not unfortunately, but he's on a honeymoon right now. So he is not here. He took Otani number one overall. Se- seemed fair. Uh, <laughs> Otani's pretty good at this thing. But I, I want to ask you a general question. When you're managing a, a fantasy baseball team, because we have these conversations with the real teams too, how big of a sample size do you need to start to wave the white flag on someone. Obviously, Braves fans are going through it. Marcel Zuna hitting under yeah, 100 yeah. still. Ugh, like, I, I know there's degrees to it, but like, how how big of, of a sample size do you want before you start to drastically alter your fantasy lineup? I think it really applies to most because I do fantasy baseball and football and basketball, and it really is that quarter season mark. Maybe not week four per se in NFL, but you know the general idea. And I think we're we're creeping closer to that point for the baseball season. But I'm not ready to make significant changes yet, especially if I'm in a rotisserie league where you're just kind of accumulating points throughout the season and where you finish in the standings is the overall point total you get. If it's a weekly matchup kind of game. It's, it's a little bit different strategy-wise. I, it, it is about the quarter of the season, and it also depends on um, like what level of investment you have in the player. Obviously, if you have somebody going you know, uh, second, third, fourth round and they aren't batting or uh, pitching to the level that you're expecting them to, you you can maybe afford, I think almost only mentally, right, to, to afford to make it through that point and wait. But if it's your last round selection or somebody else like that and you're turning to the bench, especially this year when I think a lot of fantasy baseball uh, experts were anticipating speed being a factor with the new rule changes but not to this level, um, I, I think being aggressive on that latter half of your roster is really key. Um, and I feel like baseball, more than any other fantasy sport, you can identify and pick guys that are – uh, waiver wire fodder to begin the season that will be in your starting lineup or guys you consider in your starting lineup from from the very first couple weeks of the season. So being mindful of where your weaknesses on the roster are, what it looks like for, throughout the first couple weeks, and then being willing to cut ties and even some of your bigger players as you approach that um, you know mid-May mark, I think is kind of the, the big key for, for fantasy baseball in that regard. Some of the rule changes this uh, this winter have impacted the way we've started to see the game played a little bit. We've seen a lot more singles on the ground with the no shift, but we've also seen a lot more stolen bases early. How are guys that can run, how much value are they getting increased with, with this newfound ability to throw it back to the 90s and, and start running almost every game now? Yeah, I don't even know if it's so much that the guys that can run, you're already projecting that, and I think a lot of people – have been operating, at least pre-drafts, um, the, the, the couple weeks before that, okay, I'm going to get X player because I know he's going to have uh, the speed part guaranteed. And it's almost like that was diminished value, even though they're going to be above the projection level total for steals too. It's because there's so many people in that latter half of the draft, and it's why I always preach flexibility. Uh, frequently I'm in drafts, I'm looking for guys with multiple positional eligibility to give myself flexibility in the lineups. It's for that exact reason that you can kind of fit in whatever spots you need to. And in this case, I think identifying the speed factor and how many people are seriously able to have so many stolen bases in a given part, it's incredible. It really is kind of crazy to see the speed rise. And I agree with you. I, I like having that. That's, that's a nice factor. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm shocked by it as well, too. I, I never really anticipated this level of speed across the board, not just the top-end guys, but even people in middle rounds and later where you're just hoping that's going to be their only facet. Well, it turns out they can do a whole lot more. And I, that, that's good for fantasy baseball, having that stolen base category um, affected by more than just one or two spots. 
But if you invest a high draft pick in somebody specifically for that speed angle, I think you're hurting right now because there are so many players in so many positions uh, that are providing that you weren't anticipating uh, entering the season. Shifting back to uh, fantasy football, um, so Bijan Robinson, and we'll we'll just kind of start off with this. He's been projected to go um, to the Falcons, kind of in, in in some mock drafts, as well as the Eagles, and also the Chargers, maybe trading up and making a move or waiting to get him uh, with their first round pick. Of those three teams, uh, situationally, maybe where you draft them, uh, where you draft him in a in a. Um, a fantasy football draft, uh, what do you think would be the best spot for him to really thrive and be successful? Yeah, I think you have to say the Eagles, and, and I agree with you. We talked about this in the podcast last week. Wednesday, um, you could listen to that anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're aware NFL podcast, that if Bijan goes to the Eagles, it is a little bit of a cheat code in the essence. I don't like Rashad Penny, who they signed kind of under the radar right. um, from the Eagles, and they still have Kenny Gamewell, who's been um, obviously great in the postseason, and Boston Scott, who is specifically good against the, the Giants, but if Bijan Robinson is there, you're able to capitalize on every part of Bijan Robinson as a player. The runner, obviously, one of the best ones. Um, certainly, I don't know what generational per se, but really since Saquon Barkley, we haven't seen a guy um, that has been this highly touted and has kept that level really throughout his entire collegiate career. But the receiving aspect, too, that Bijan Robinson is certainly a good pass catching running back, too. That would fit very well um, in the Eagles scheme, but by no means do I think. The Falcons would be a bad landing spot either. Now, I do think he would share time with Tyler Algier, and there's also the concern that the Falcons' offense is a little bit more rudimentary than the Eagles in the sense that they're running the ball so frequently and probably have read options um, to a less efficient standpoint than the Eagles would be with Jalen Hurts. Uh, but I, I still think Bijan Robinson in that in that system, in that situation, would be completely effective as well. Now, do you, do you take him at pick eight or whatever the Falcons are? That's a little bit tougher. But if he's as good as a player as many people have projected for the past couple of years, I, I can easily see the Falcons doing that. I can see the Eagles doing that. Um, the Chargers be third. I, I think they're going to end up keeping Austin Eckler, which is kind of the conundrum with this. Like, can you have B. John Robinson and Eckler? My answer is yes. Um, I, I mean, they had Joshua <laughs> Kelly taking effective snacks, uh, effective snaps last year. I mean, if B. John Robinson is in that role, that's going to be incredible, and he might be like the, the first player to have over a thousand yards on. Uh, only 100 carries or something like that. It's going to be nuts. Uh, but I think the, the value of that pick for the Chargers would be, well, we can safely let Austin Eckler go next year or find a draft capital midseason for him at, at that point, too, kind of like how the, the Panthers did with the Christian McCaffrey. So I don't, I don't anticipate the Chargers take uh, B. John Robinson. I, I, there's been popular speculation it's either tight end or running back. Um, as kind of a splashy pick, and I just I don't really go for that. But really, the Eagles and Falcons, I, I could completely see – Taking the uh, taking him very early on. We're talking with Joe Bartle from Roto Wire, and uh, Joe, one thing we talked about early in the show was uh, this S two cognitive test that these guys have been playing <laughs> or have been taking, and uh, it seems like CJ Stroud may have slipped on some boards um, just because he didn't do well on this test. How how much do these uh, how much do GMs and owners and, and head coaches and, and draft experts? I mean, how how much do they actually look at? at the success of these cognitive tests for these players? Oh, I think they look at it a lot. I think actually um, it, it is a determining factor on whether they are selecting a player or not. My answer is, should it be? You know, I, I don't know if, that's, if that should be as big of a piece of a puzzle as it seems to be, and it's very easy to point out all the successful quarterbacks and how high their scores have been, and I just think this is too small of a sample size. Now, 
the um, S two scores have been around a long time, and I, I think people hear cognitive score and they uh, immediately think of like the Wonderlick, and it's like, no, it's it doesn't it doesn't work that way at all. It's more like a reaction time thing uh, and quick decision making process. And theoretically, the test is meant or can identify if somebody's not trying, which is kind of the comments that C.J. Stroud seemed to make is that oh, I wasn't really interested in the test. I wasn't really caring too much. Theoretically, it's supposed to help you identify um, if somebody is or is not trying, and, and you'd have different results uh, if that was the case. I don't know, and I, I don't think to be clear, it should be as big of a factor. Just because you have uh, a certain subsection of good quarterbacks high in that list doesn't mean that you can't have somebody lower still be successful too. So it feels like a relatively new data point. I know it's been around a long time, um, and they're certainly getting an extreme amount of publicity, which I think is very convenient this season as well, too. But this was primarily a tool used for baseball, which was, which is much more sabermetric-focused. And I don't know if you can say the same thing um, for football. So it'll be really interesting. Uh, Stroud, obviously, lower. But a guy like Will Levis, who I, I'm like completely out on, for him to be as high in that test score as he is, that will really be the bigger case point for me if he is going to be a successful quarterback uh, and whether or not these scores matter. So, I, I have never um, thought about the S2 scores before. Clearly, NFL teams have been and are upset that uh, this has been revealed because it's going to impact them, I think, negatively. But I, I just don't feel like it should be as big a piece of the puzzle as it feels like it has been over the past two weeks of uh, NFL draft conversation. Right. And, and now leading into that, uh, you know, with Will Levis, now us being here in SEC country, we've seen a lot of Will Levis, and, and I think most of us in the studio aren't really sold on him but it seems like a lot of teams are, and now you may even see him get drafted higher than a guy like C.J. Stroud, and when you really think about it, you're like, I think C.J. Stroud's probably the better quarterback. I, but, I mean, what are your thoughts on Will Levis versus a C.J. Stroud, and what are teams seeing so much in Will Levis that maybe us in the studio are missing out on? Yeah, um, I think you're, the, the biggest question is, do you think Will Levis was good because of Wandale Robinson or was he uh, ineffective because the offense and, and the offense line in particular was so bad last year? Like, if you can answer that question confidently, that's the biggest part for me. I don't I, like Wondell Robinson was so key to success the year before, and I thought I read somewhere like a forty-seven percent target share or something that effect. Like that, that Man. just is not that can't be as high of a number for one player. Either it means Wondell Robinson is one of the best receivers of all time, and Will Levis was just very good at identifying. And Wondell might be. I actually, I liked him a lot last year, but not not to that level. Or this S two score, which is supposed to identify your action time and decision making process, is not as good because he was literally only doing it for one player. I, I I'm I'm shocked by that stuff, and, and I really try to take into account the year before's production as well as what happened this year, and and kind of converse what I'm seeing on tape. I, I, the NFL teams see a big-body guy who has a strong arm, who's mobile, and you're like, oh, okay, well, what happens if Ben Roethlisberger uh, ran a 4-7? That's Will Levis. And that's attractive, I think, certainly for a, a NFL mindset that is stuck in the 1990s and later who wants that big, tall guy and uh, you know wishes their son could grow up to be. That's the type of NFL GM that's interested in Will Levis. And that's just not me. Like I, I can look at the film and be like, this does not look like a first-round quarterback, much less top five. Um, and I get the intangible stuff is there, and you really can't quantify that, which is much more difficult than why someone like Stroud, who does look better on tape and, and seems like the better quarterback by far, and yeah, he's got so many great weapons, but he, he also performed well with those weapons. 
it feels like a no-brainer to me. Uh, and I think the intangibles are, are being weighed to the extent that that's where you see Levis higher than Stroud and what they think they can get him to be. I, I just, uh, I've seen so many NFL regimes fail in this exact same process. And frankly, we've seen it over the past couple of years, uh, right, with Zach Wilson most notably. We're doing the same thing. Oh, we're talking ourselves a new guy that wasn't all that productive. And Wilson was way more productive than Levis. So I, I'm... I'm concerned. I would say that. I'm very concerned for anyone who's taking Will Levis in the top five if that does end up happening. Joe, we'll close with this, and you know what's coming. How will you remember the time of Aaron Rodgers as a Green Bay Packer? Oh, uh, a lot of really good memories. Uh, I'm happy this relationship ended slightly better than the one with Brett Favre. Uh, not that either one was perfect by any means. I, I, uh, I am wishing Rodgers well uh, in New York. I think that they will be a playoff team. I do not think they'll win the Super Bowl, but I think they'll be a playoff team. Uh, and I, I want an opportunity for Rodgers' legacy to grow, even if that means it's away from the Packers. So I, I have lots of fond moments. I will always remember the throw to beat the Cowboys in the playoffs with Jared Cook at the sideline. That is going to be, in my mind, one of the best throws of all time. And I can rattle off four or five or six different throws, Hail Marys, whatever else, that Rodgers had throughout his career that – uh, you know, I, I could be 90 on, uh, on on my deathbed and be like, oh, yeah, I, I remember when this happened or I was there for this. And it's one of the first athletes that I can recall where I've ever felt that way. Um, and certainly from a Wisconsin sports perspective, uh, I just have a lot of admiration for Aaron Rodgers, the player, and a lot of fond memories for him. And I'll, I'll always remember that, even with the drama over the past couple of years and the Packers probably choosing to make this decision too late. They had that opportunity last year with the Broncos and I think failed, even though this trade – uh, theoretically worked out well for them. I will have lots of fond memories of Aaron Rodgers. And I hope I hope most Packer fans out there are the same way. He's Joe Bartle of RotoWire joining us today on Sports Call. Joe, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. I know things start to ramp up here uh, for you, but we uh, appreciate you taking the time out of the day to talk to us. Uh, we hope the draft's a lot of fun tomorrow night, and we'll talk again down the line. Yeah, hopefully a uh, quick plug, at least from my perspective, JB Fantasy Sports on Twitter. I'm going to have lots of draft coverage. I already have my draft props article up. Uh, day two, Friday, we'll have all the breakdown skill position guys and what their fancy value will be, and, and lots more to come as well. I'll be on a live draft show Thursday night uh, talking about the first round, too. So, so plenty of coverage on my angle if you're into that, and uh, hopefully SEC country is represented well in the first round. Absolutely. A lot to look forward to at RotoWire and like uh, like you said, at JB Fantasy Sports. Joe, time's greatly appreciated. Again, we'll talk to you down the line. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me on. That is Joe Bartle of RotoWire here on this edition of Sports Call. We are very much out of time here for our number two. When we come back, again, we'll start to get pivot towards Wacky Wednesday. Uh, as that is coming up on this uh, this beautiful Wednesday. Again, with Tom Peavy and Cam Berry, I'm Ryan Lavoy. We'll take a quick timeout. We'll be back with Wacky Wednesday after this.
two hours of sports call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. And I've got Tom Peavy and Cam Berry with me here this afternoon. Again, big thanks to our friend Joe Bartle of Rotowire. Again, a little off-season chat with him as the NFL draft gets set for tomorrow. As you know, where people go will definitely impact their value in the upcoming fantasy season. And I appreciate him for talking a little bit about that and a little fancy baseball with us too. But... Today is a Wednesday. We've not done it in a few weeks. We've done it a couple times this year. But it's time to get wacky. All right, start to go off the tracks a little bit. It is time for a Sports Call Wacky Wednesday. Off the tracks. It's time for Wacky Wednesday. All right, uh, again, board operator Ryan, who is uh, – <laughs> Still hosting the show, did not uh, get that on air on time. So, one more time. Sometimes the conversation can go off the tracks. It's time for Wacky Wednesday. And then sometimes board operator Ryan goes off the tracks too, oh. and uh, he doesn't uh, hit the button he needs to hit. But uh, yeah, we're excited about this. Let's get a little music going to it too. Ooh. So, I'm getting to run the show on this one. Yeah, I mean, uh. you're going you're gonna to lead us, man. All right, so check this out. A coincidence is an event or situation that happens by chance and has no apparent casual connection with another event or situation. Uh, Many experts, uh, debunkers of the paranormal and psychologists will say that there's no such thing as a coincidence, that the world just happens at random. However, some of these stories might make you think a little twice about that. In the early 2000s, soon-to-be-married couple Alex and Donna were looking through old photos to put in their wedding video. They happened upon uh, they happened upon one of Donna and her siblings posing with Peter Pan Smee on a childhood trip to Disney World in 1980. But there was something shocking in the background of the photo, or someone to be exact. It was Alex, being pushed in a stroller by his father. Until that moment, the couple had no idea they had been at Disney World at the same time as kids long before they knew each other, let alone in the same photo. In 2010, they returned to Disney World to recreate the photo with their own children. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, you just never know who you cross paths with. And then I feel like this could be you just going out in public and you see someone that's like vaguely familiar, but you have no idea if you even met that person. That just person just seems familiar to right. you. And it might be that you've already passed them in two other different places before. That's right. And in this case, uh, future partners there yeah. meet in each the other. Same, in the same photo in 1980. 
That's great. Uh, uh, This one's called Biblical Shakespeare. Uh, The seemingly meaningless sentence, here was I like a psalm, P-S-A-L-M, psalm, here here was I like a psalm, is an anagram for William Shakespeare. They consist of the same letters and only the same letters, but is it meaningless? The 46th word in Psalm 46 in the King James Bible is shake, and the 46th word from the end is spear. William Shakespeare's age when the King James Bible was first completed in 1611, 46 years old. (laughs) Man, that's good too. Yeah. Yeah. So again, in the past, for people just tuning in, in the past we've had some, uh, we called them uh, uh, sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction, but these are just strange coincidences. But uh, these are all true. All true, yeah. Uh, They they are coincidences that sound like they would be fiction, but these are actually true. So still truth, and maybe it's strange, but uh, coincidences. Mark Twain's birth and death coincide with Halley's Comet. So Samuel Longhorn Clemens, uh, known more popular by his nom de plume mark twain was born in 1835 the same year that haley's comet made its first appearance the comet made a second appearance in 1910 the year that twain died and the author according to the new york times famously predicted that the two events would coincide he's quoted as saying quote the almighty has said no doubt now here are these two unaccountable freaks they came in together they must go out together (laughs) and they did okay Stephen Hawking, everybody knows Stephen Hawking, yes. right? He shares his birth and death dates with Galileo and Einstein, respectively. Theoretical physicist, cosmologist, and author Stephen Hawking was famously born on the thir- 300th anniversary of Galileo's death and died on what would have been Einstein's 139th birthday. That said, the far more confounding question of statistical improbability surrounding Hawking's life was the fact that he survived to be 76 despite living with Lou Gehrig's disease. Though we know very little about the disease, according to Scientific American, most of the diagnosis lived for about five years past diagnosis, yet Hawking survived for more than five additional decades, allowing him to share his crucial insights and gifts with the world, not to mention his legendary humor. So... So so what do you know what the date was? I guess we could look it up. What was the date of uh, Galileo, Galileo and uh, Hawking's? Um, he was born on the 300th anniversary of Galileo's death uh-huh. and died on what would have been Einstein's 139th birthday. So it doesn't have the exact dates, but he shares that with Galileo and Einstein. Because I was trying to say, so January 8th looks like a Stephen Hawking's birthday. Right. I'm just saying, if you're bored on January 8th, you could be brilliant. You there should you start go. saying you are brilliant. There you go. There you go. Uh, how about this? You might have come across this fact in your history class and immediately noticed the spookiness. Three of the first five U.S. presidents have died on July the 4th, and two of those deaths were on the same July 4th within hours of each other. Friends turned political rivals John Adams and Thomas Jefferson both died on July 4th, 1826, the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. The fifth president, James Monroe, would die exactly five years later on the Declaration's 55th anniversary. So the birth date of the country is the deadliest day for presidents. Huh. That's got, that's a little creepy, too. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could look at it from the standpoint of, oh, you know, they're going out patriotically, that's I guess, right. you know. Uh, but at the same time, that 
you when you when you phrase it that way, the deadliest day for presidents is July fourth. Yeah. <laughs> Every former president <laughs> living is just like, all right, just get through the just day. Just get through the fourth. 20, 20 more hours. Speaking of deadly occurrences, getting struck by lightning is a rather cliche example of a rare occurrence, but one that befell the same man four times, including after his death. The man, Major Walter Summerford, was struck three different times throughout his life, and then again four years after it had ended when lightning hit his gravestone. What in the world? <laughs> this is just a dark... Okay, more than anyone in this earth, that man can say a dark cloud follows him around. You know how you just have a string of bad luck, and you're like, man, there's just a dark cloud over me. He can say that. He could have said that. After death, he still got struck by light. How did anyone even know that? Just I, like His tombstone got hit. I mean, lightning doesn't strike, please, or uh, does it strike twice in the same place, please? (laughs) Uh, If you're a history buff or a lover of creepy coincidences, you're probably very familiar with all the eerie coincidences between assassinated presidents John F. Kennedy and Abraham Lincoln. But there's a lesser known coincidence involving Lincoln's assassination. In 1864, Robert Todd Lincoln, the son of the president, tumbled off of a train platform and was rescued by a man named Edwin Booth. Now, why does that surname sound familiar? Because, yes, mere months later, Abraham would be assassinated by John Wilkes Booth, the brother of the man who saved his son's life. Oh, man. Yeah. That's like a creepy, like, the the death, like death has to come thing. back. So yeah. one, one Booth saved a Lincoln, so one Booth has to kill yeah. a Lincoln. That's like a horror movie or something. Now, here's a weird one. In 1940, a set of twin boys was put up for adoption. The boys were adopted by different families, both of whom named their sons James. The boys, both of whom ended up going by Jim, both grew up with dogs with the same name, Toy. They also both grew up to work in security. One twin was a security guard, the other was a sheriff. They also both divorced their first wives named Linda (laughs) and remarried women named Betty. And finally, they both had one son, also named their sons James, and gave their sons similar middle names, Alan, A-L-L-A-N, and Alan, A-L-A-N. And until they were 39 years old, they'd never even met. So uh, it, uh, that takes twins being connected to a whole new level. Each Jim knew that he had been born with a twin, and when they were 37 years old, one of them found contact details for his brother. They met in 1979, and that was when they learned just how similar their lives had been. And unsurprisingly, news outlets and psychologists alike had a field day. Uh, so yeah, there you go. The the two separated brothers lived almost identical lives. See what's? I guess you can't do one case study and just project it on the all. But you know, I I would have thought that parenting and stuff would have come into play a lot there too. So I feel like that they had similar upbringings, even though obviously they weren't the same because they weren't in the same household. But like, does that prove that it's more? <clears throat> You know, genetic and more just it, it not necessarily. I don't know. I mean, you both end up marrying a woman named Linda, divorcing, and both ended up marrying a woman named Betty. And you both had a dog named Toy. See, like, just I mean, that's instinctively, <laughs> that's just like you were pre programmed. Like, uh, that's the names I'm going to like or something. Yeah. I, I don't know. I like the thing that I was br- brung up okay. I have parents that I think did a great job. I, and I feel like there's a world out there if I got oh. born to. Parents that did not get a great job, I wouldn't have ended up this way. Right. But I mean, what are the chances of that? I not that's good. Why, that's why it's a coincidence. Not high. That's awesome. How about this one? Uh, National Geographic reports that your odds of being killed by a meteor are one in one million six hundred thousand. 
So the odds would seem infinitesimally small that a meteor, which had been flying through space for more than four and a half billion years without hitting a target, would hit the home of a family with the last name Comet. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't laugh about that, but... According to Time Magazine, in a bizarre case of cosmic synchronicity, that is exactly what happened to one family in France. Thankfully, no one was hurt, and the Comets are now the proud owners of their own extremely rare extraterrestrial rock. At least they, so they were okay though. It did not hurt the, them. The the house got hit, but okay. But didn't you give the stat? I'm sorry. Did you not give the stat of how likely we were? One in one million six hundred thousand of getting hit by okay, a not dying though. Okay, <clears throat> right, just getting right. hit. Okay, <laughs> yeah. block or charge. <laughs> uh, as told in an episode of NPR's "This Is the American Life" title, no coincidence, no story. Stephen and Helen Lee had just gotten engaged when they made a shocking family discovery. While looking through family photos during their engagement party in New York, they realized that the bride's mother and groom's late father had nearly gotten married in Korea in the 1960s, but moved on to other relationships because their parents disapproved. By incredibly narrow odds, the two loves of Lee's father's life from two different sides of the world, no less, now shared grandchildren decades later. Wait, I'm, I time out. I didn't follow that the way I needed so to. So Stephen and Helen Lee had just gotten engaged when they found out that uh, in the 60s, uh, the bride's mother and okay. the groom's late father, had okay. ne- they had nearly gotten married in Korea okay. in the gotcha. 1960s. All right. I meant, okay. Well, so they that almost would have been really weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that's not. Violet Jessup was a nurse and ocean liner stewardess who earned the nickname Miss Unsinkable by surviving both the accidents of the Titanic in 1912 and its sister ship, the HM, the HMHS Britannic, which met a similar fate in 1916. Jetsup was also reportedly on board a third boat, the RMS Olympic, when it hit a warship. What in the world? But unfortunately, the Olympic stayed, uh, but fortunately, the Olympic stayed afloat. So yeah, Violet Jessup survived the Titanic sinking. She survived the sinking of the Britannic and was on board the Olympic when it nearly sank. Time out on the field. Multiple questions. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Out. One, if you're her, how the, in the world are you getting on another one of those ships? Yeah. I'm never boating again. That's I don't a, care it's the night the hundreds. I'm just nah, not going anywhere a, that needs a boat. Yeah, that's a lapse of judgment. Stop no. that. Just don't. Just don't. Two, I know you don't have this technology back then. If you are the ocean liner, don't let her on the boat. <laughs> Okay, this is a horrible string there. Don't let her near the boat. Because those are supposed <laughs> like to be... A, like a picture posted right there. You yeah. right at the entrance. <laughs> like, Mo- can't get in. Yeah. Banned from all boats. <laughs> I mean, good grief. Well, here's three your, times? Three times. Here's your one that's similar. It wasn't quite three times. No, no I got one more question. Okay. No, hang on. Time out. Okay. Another time out. I can't call back-to-back timeouts. Do it anyway. If, if, you, if it was one of you guys... If this happened where I don't really want to say plane crash because I don't feel like people survive those. <laughs> right. But like if you were on some sort of vehicle transportation that was abnormal, not a car, and you got an experience where others around you passed away but you survived, like what would it take for you to get back on that mode of transportation? <clears throat> no. I wouldn't. I just wouldn't. Train, boat. I'd probably do it one more time, and if it happens again, <laughs> if it happens again, then okay, all right. I need to, I need to pump the brakes. Right. If it happens twice, I'll walk. If, if it happens, if it happens once, I got lucky, and it's a coincidence. If it happens twice, okay, now I'm a little concerned. 
Do well, this next one, Tom, and then we're going to take a timeout, and we'll have right. a few more on the other well, side. Well, it's kind of fitting. You know, is this lucky or is this coincidence? But in 2014, there were two pl- tragic plane crashes involving Malaysian air flights. The first was shot down over the Ukraine, and the second disappeared without a trace somewhere over the Indian Ocean in the greatest aviation mystery of all time. Beyond the fact that both incidents involved the same airline in such a short time span, there was another striking coincidence. Dutch cyclist Martin de Jong was scheduled to take both flights, but cheated death by bumping his ticket at the 11th hour when cheaper options became available. Oh, So twice that dude was supposed to be on the Malaysian air flights that well, crashed. If you've seen Final Destination, yeah. you know, it's not long <laughs> for him. But I, again, like, could you... D- I mean, that, that's not a thing that happens very often. It's why so many people fly um, and, and fly confidently because it's not a thing that happens. So to be involved in that twice, I would simply just not ever go. I know he was a cyclist who's yeah. probably got to go over the place. Cycle! Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's there. over water, cycle they, uh, <laughs> to that yeah. place. Uh, that, is, uh, that, is, that is crazy. That is yeah. crazy. We're going to go ahead and take an intermission here. Uh, with our strange coincidences on this wacky Wednesday. I got more. I, if I you think, want more. Uh, we want more. We're going to get more. <laughs> but we do need to break it up with a timeout. We'll be back with more of Wacky Wednesday right after this. Listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports call on this Wednesday, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Cam Berry. This wacky Wednesday. A very wacky Wednesday. We uh, we sometimes do uh, taste test of things and, <laughs> well, and that sort of stuff, and we'll, we'll certainly have more of those down the line. But for today... I weird animal, animal fact. That's how this whole thing started, was, I hope, was stuff about animals. I hope to never put another peep in my mouth again. <laughs> I'm glad I missed that one. I don't like, I'm be, so be glad I missed that one. I'll be glad. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't that bad. I don't peeps like, are I just, awful. I don't like peeps. Peeps are bad. No. Brooks. If you don't like peeps, they're, it's not great for those that didn't like peeps. I enjoyed it. I realized that I did actually like peeps. <laughs> he, 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 I think Ryan All but was one the of them one. I was down for. I think Ryan was the, one, the only one that was truly refreshed and was like, huh, these aren't as bad as I remember. He's like, oh, yeah. these are pretty good. Yeah. Da, da, da. Me. I was like, yeah, I can't even finish. See, I got the Dr. Pepper ones oh, right there bad. before Easter. I was like, let me just try them. No, oh, those are still bad. terrible. Oh, so <laughs> <laughs> well, you wouldn't have liked that one then for sure. No. But uh, it's A-OK. But uh, we are in the middle of Wacky Wednesday. Sometimes the conversation can go off the tracks. It's time for Wacky Wednesday. 
All right, let's get back to oh. the strange coincidences that Tom has for us. So are y'all believing in do you believe in coincidences or do you just this is the way the world works? Oh, I, I, I is there I like is there actual like a paranormal? Do connection I believe in the it? concept of a coincidence? Well, sure. Yeah, yeah. But is there like some weird paranormal realm that makes this type of stuff happen, or is it just random? I don't know. No. Well, how about this? In in 2001, a 10-year-old girl named Laura Buxton stood in her front yard with a red balloon. On the side of the balloon, she had written the words, Please return to Laura Buxton, along with her address. She then released it into the strong winds. The balloon traveled roughly 140 miles south before descending and finally landing in the yard of another 10-year-old girl named Laura Buxton. Uh-huh. <laughs> no. After getting after getting in touch and explaining the coincidence, the girls decided to meet and discovered a whole range of uncanny similarities. Not only did they look and dress alike, both had girl uh, uh, both girls had three year old chocolate labs, a gray rabbit, and a guinea pig, and both had brought their guinea pigs to the meeting unplanned. What in the world? See, they're not twins. No, <laughs> just another random Laura Buxton happened to catch the balloon of Laura Buxton and they both had the exact same pets. They were the same age. I don't know, man. That's I'm that's weird. Yeah, it is weird. Yeah. Too weird. Yeah. Uh Sutomo Yamaguchi survived both the Hiro- Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings. Oh my goodness wow. gracious. That's Yamaguchi is either incredibly lucky or incredibly unlucky, depending on how you look at it. Unlucky in that he happened to be present in both Hiroshima and Nagasaki at the times of their catastrophic atomic bombings, and yet lucky that he miraculously survived both. Yamaguchi reportedly fled Hiroshima in search of safety, winding up in Nagasaki, only to see a second flash of white light that would cover over half of his body and burns from radioactive ash. Yamaguchi is the only person recognized by the Japanese government as having survived both bombings. Sadly, he died in 2010 of cancer. Ah. But wow. Well, I mean, yeah, he would have. I mean, what are the chances? Yeah, let yeah. me go to Nagasaki and get take safety. Oh. And then it gets yeah. bombed. Did you survive both of them? Brutal. Well, I mean, good for him, but also brutal. Yeah. <laughs> this is this one right here is you want to talk about coincidence. This is just this is bizarre. You gotta kind of follow along though. So according to mathematician uh, Joseph Mazur's book Fluke. Uh, the 19th century French poet Emile Deschamps experienced a coincidence for the record books. As a teenager, he met an Englishman named Mr. Uh, Mr. Dave Fortibu, we'll call Fortibu, who introduced Deschamps to plum pudding for the first time. Roughly a decade later, Deschamps saw plum pudding on a restaurant menu and ordered it, but the waiter said they had sold the last one to a man in the back of the restaurant. Then called out to Mister. Uh, then called out Mister. Fortuji for for Yeah, by name. So, so Deschamps wanted plum pudding. They were sold out because the Fortuji guy had just ordered the last one. A decade later, another decade passed, and Deschamps went to a dinner party that served plum pudding. He joked that the party must be for Mister. Fortuji, who then inexplicably showed up at the door at that very moment. He had accidentally come to the wrong door on his way to another dinner party. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> so plum plum pudding lovers unite, apparently. Yeah. Mr. Fortigaboo. Yep. Yeah. Uh, a couple found wedding vows in a bottle written on the same day they wed. 
Uh, Fred and Lynette Dubendorf were strolling down the beach with their dog, picking up old bits of trash when they found uh, that they found to throw away when they noticed something in a small plastic bottle washed up on the shore. Upon closer look, they found that it was a message containing the marriage vows of another couple, Melody Kloska and Matt Bears, who had recently had their wedding ceremony on a beach across Lake Michigan. The note contained the couple's address and the wedding date, which the Dubendorfs were amazed to discover was the same as their own beach wedding date. They took it as a happy sign that both of their marriages were meant to be and wrote them a letter to congratulate the newlyweds on their utter shock. Okay. Now, see, if this was if this was a never type of story, then I was going to say, oh, no, I'm going to find well, out they're divorced oh, no. already uh, or something. Okay, but that is that is same wedding day. No. Uh, there are a lot of this is there are a lot of coincidences uh, from far flung conspiracy theories on the internet involving the number six six six. Everybody knows that's like the devil's number. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this story happens to be true. Finnair flight six 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 departed from Copenhagen and landed in Helsinki, which is H E L. Right. So flight six 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 landed in Hell on Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> Our pass. Thankfully, the passengers aboard the coincidence ended there. They all landed safely at their yeah. final or, destination. Uh, no, don't say final destination either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, fortunately, there was not a, a Jason Voorhees outside yeah, exactly. when they landed. Yeah, good grief. Who? I I hope. Well, I guess someone did because we know about it. I was going to say. I wonder if anyone actually made that. All those connections in real time, like on the plane, they're like right. ten minutes up in the air, and then all of a sudden they're just putting two and two and two together. They're just like, oh no, <laughs> what are we doing well, here? Oh, let me see. I'm going through. Let's my do a list couple here. more, and then we'll have to take our last break. Oh yeah. Um, uh, triplets met after being separated at birth as part of an experiment. Uh, the 2018 documentary Three Identical Strangers tells the story of three young men, Robbie, David, and Eddie that discovered in 1980 that they were identical triplets adopted to different families. Two of the three boys attended the same university by coincidence and were later contacted by the third brother after the fluke meeting was publicized by the media. Turns out that the boys had been separated as part of a nature versus nature or nature versus nurture experiment studied by the New York psychologist in the 1960s. The study was never published, but their lives were, of course, permanently altered by their adoption. So three twins so- completely separated somehow ended up finding each right. other again that's what we talked about a little bit earlier where i was like you know these two <clears throat> these two twins ended up having wives of the same name and right. name their kids the same and all of that and so with this you know you had um i guess the, they were actually trying to discover if that was the case like if the, if the parenting mattered and all that i right. guess they ended up not being quite as identical but um also, I guess safe to say the the real parents did not want them because why? <laughs> you you wanted an experiment done, and you wanted to purposely separate uh, brothers, twins. Yeah, I don't the, I don't know if I'm a huge fan of that. There's a, and the weird thing. There's a lot of these that were with twins, and so this was the last one right here. Uh, identical twins, Helen May Cook and Clara May Mitchell, always did everything together. The sisters were born on February 2nd, 1932, and family members reported a close-knit bond between them from childhood through their golden years. So when Clara died of a heart attack at the age of 83, it came as no surprise to their family that Helen would die just hours later on that same day. To the rest of us, however, the fact is undeniably eerie. Helen had been battling Alzheimer's for over six years and could have succumbed to her disease at any time. 
Uh, and quote, it's how they would have wanted, remarked Helen's daughter in an interview with USA Today. So, yeah, two twin sisters. Uh, one survived Alzheimer's for all those years. The first one then died of a heart attack, and then the one with Alzheimer's passed just hours later. Man. Wild. That is crazy. That, that you know, that, that kind of happens sometimes with significant others that have a spouse pass away elderly and then yeah i'm gonna read one more because this okay. is this Good is sports work. related okay and we will end on this one because it's about roberta clemente uh the first baseball player to reach 3,000 hits and it was on his last day of playing baseball pittsburgh pirates right fielder roberta clemente made baseball history by becoming the first latin american player and the 11th in the entire major leagues to reach 3,000 hits in 1972 the coincidence of it all, this highly anticipated milestone would be his last hit ever on a major league field. According to the MLB, the Hall of Famer was unfortunately killed shortly after in a plane crash off the coast of Puerto Rico while en route to a humanitarian trip in Nicaragua. Man. So he reached 3,000 hits and then died in a plane crash. I don't like planes. That's all, oh. all I heard today. That's all <laughs> I, I heard. Like I've planes. still never been on a plane, too. What? Uh, yeah, never been on a plane. Like what? I say, man, Seriously? The, yeah. Oh, wow. Right. Never been on a plane. It oh might happen this gosh. summer, though. Where? How? Might be going to New York. We'll see. Yes, please. Just don't get on Malaysian Airlines. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably not. I won't do that. Yeah. Just fly, fly like so, Southwest or United yeah. or Delta. So, yeah, man, I mean, the world, man, it's weird. Strange. And you it's said just, you have a lot more. Might be able to do that again down the road with how many coincidences. Uh, you, yeah, you found 50 or 60, you said. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, there's all sorts of weird stories out there. But, yeah, I mean, truth is stranger than fiction. That's kind of what we do with these uh periodically on these wacky wednesdays and a lot of times in the world truth is stranger than fiction yeah strange but true there you go yeah absolutely all right we're about out of time for the show today one final time out we'll be back to wrap things up right after this you're listening to wednesday edition of sports call on tiger 95.9 easy it is to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa play sports call auburn follow sports call on twitter at sports call au like us on facebook at sports call au Last couple minutes of sports gone today. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy with you. Appreciate Tom for collecting a lot of those coincidences for Wacky, Wacky Wednesday. Wednesday. We'll have another Wacky Wednesday very sh- soon, I am sure. Um, but for now, we're down in the waning moments of the show. I wish we had time to talk a little bit more about a couple of those because, again, those were uh, those were. Pretty wild, but let's get to today's Sports Calls Nightly TV Guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Calls Nightly TV Guide. All right, Sports Calls Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. We start things off uh, with the Atlanta Braves, 620 on Valley Sports South as they take on the Miami Marlins, trying to win three in a row here. Stanley Cup playoffs, 6 o'clock, Florida Panthers at the Boston Bruins. Bruins can lock up that series. They lead it 3-1. to one. 
And then a tight series between the Colorado Avalanche and Seattle Kraken. That one, Game 5, tied at 2 at 8.30 on ESPN. Also, NBA playoffs night. It's ball night. All Yo. four games or all four t- time slots. Lakers-Grizzlies, 6.30 on TNT. Lakers can win that series with a win. Knicks-Cavs, 6 o'clock NBA TV. Knicks can win the series with a road victory, so similar situation to the Lakers. 8.30 NBA TV. Miami Heat can win the series against the Milwaukee Bucks, and it would be absolute shocker. Jimmy Butler was engaged in the last game. And then a big one, the only 2-2 of the night in Sacktown. Sacramento Kings, Golden State Warriors, Game 5. De'Aaron Fox looks like he will play through that fracture in uh, his index finger of his left hand. That is oh, a couple of movie picks, too. 6 o'clock, Independence Day 2. That's not the good Independence Day. That's on Sci-Fi. And then 6.45, Uncut Gems on Showtime 2. And that is Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. That will do it for the show today. Tom, thank you for being here, and thank you for collecting those coincidences. Hope you have a good rest of your week, sir. Absolutely. It's been a wacky one. (laughs) Absolutely. And then, Cam, thank you for being here, sir. We will see you again on Friday. Yes, sir. And, of course, we appreciate Joe Bartle of RotoWire for joining us on the program today, and we appreciate all those that tuned in today as well. For Tom Peavy and Cam Berry, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Wednesday night, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.